This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And... Don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted Pride of West London Playoff Final Podcast. And this is the bumper-packed Playoff Final Podcast, I have to say. More action-packed than most of the podcasts we've had recently. And and in likelihood, we're we're probably actually going to go into extra time. I'm Billy Grant and I'm sitting here with my chum David Lane, waiting for Saturday to come, just like Godot. Um, but it's not just the two of us this time, because we've, we've actually held it down the last few podcasts, because we didn't want to go too bad, we didn't want to go too potty for it, as they say, we wanted to keep it trim. But this podcast is absolutely jam-packed, full of characters. So what we got coming up? we got the views from the fans in the ground and the pub after the match, the Bournemouth match that is as well. we got the thoughts of the besotted crew currently having a party in the Chomp Lounge. we got the, the spreadsheet. Winker, he's going to be giving us all sorts of stats on the Muff game and also Swansea game as well. JB's got a load of Wembley and playoff facts and funk to ram down our throats as well. We've got Luke from Swanscast who's given us some really good insight into what's going down at Swansea. And we also head down to the Cheese Lounge where another load of the besotted crew are having a party. But like I said, this is me and Lainey just here, just chatting amongst ourselves. How are you doing, Lainey? Yeah, I'm all good, thanks, Bill. Yeah, as you say, uh, the magnitude of Saturday is starting to kind of come into view. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting about the great positives from last weekend and hopefully the great positives to come this weekend. Fingers crossed about that, Lainey. But, I mean, talking about this weekend, obviously some Brentford fans are going to the game. It's a real shame that, you know, a massive occasion this and we couldn't get all the Beast fans going to the game. But like I said, some Beast fans are going to the game. But, you know, there's been a bit of campaign to try and get more tickets for the game because 21,000 at the FA Cup two weeks ago, only 10,000 for the playoff final. Premier League bias is that? Fingers crossed, a question mark, I would say. We don't know, but like I said to you, fair play to Bias. They started a campaign, it's been rolled out. I talked to all my chums in all the different uh, clubs all up and down the country. Bias did their thing, Bees United did their thing, Griffin Park Grapevine did their thing, and all the other clubs came in as well. And we're we're trying to get more tickets, and I think I think I think a few more tickets are coming on sale probably in the next 24 hours. So there's been some action, isn't there, lady? Yeah, I think there's another thousand going to be made available, hopefully, by the end of play today. I'm not quite sure what the tap 
points um, are going to be. I think we're selling tip taps um, about 2,600. So I would have thought that around that figure, 2,000 to 2,500, if you've got those amount of uh, tap points, you, you might be lucky to, to snap up one of these extra tickets. But I think going for the, the full allocation, what you know, the amount that we should be getting, I think we're always up against time. Um, you know, the, the arguments, uh, they all stack up. Um, but I just don't think there was ever enough kind of just leverage and time on out on our hands. It's, it's a real shame. There should be, you know, there should be at least twenty thousand Brentford there and twenty thousand Swansea. And and the right thing was to, you know, to be campaigning for all clubs, not just our own. These new tickets as well. If anyone knows Wembley, I mean, I've been there a loads. I've been so many times to Wembley, so I know it like the back of my hand. It's actually actually been level five, which is kind of up in the Alps. So you're actually going to be in the top section as well there. So like I said to you, good luck to everybody who is actually looking out for more tickets for that. So like, hopefully you're going to be all good and going to see you down at Wembley on Saturday. But listen, also there's another thing is because talking about seeing you on Saturday at Wembley, I mean, maybe he might not see people at Wembley. Or they're, they're trying to spin this story saying because of the local variant in Hounslow, people shouldn't travel out of Hounslow there's a lot of confusion there for a minute wasn't there Laney and then they've sort of changed their mind that again I mean for me <laughs> one of the things we say is that you know I mean uh, essential travel you know going to Wembley for the playoff final is essential travel so every Bees fan would have gone anyway wouldn't they yeah well I've booked an eye test in for, for Wembley just in case so um, you know it doesn't matter where you're travelling from I, we, we, we've seen and we're still finding out more and more today they're making it up as they go along um, you know, it's, it's guidance. It's not. It's not. It's not firm rules. So you know, if you can't travel from from Hounslow to Wembley, the players um, won't won't aren't be allowed won't be able to go either because a lot of them live in Hounslow. So uh, you know, uh, I I don't think that that will um, come into force. I don't think there will be storms troopers um, guarding the uh, Wembley Way asking for uh, uh, council tax statements to see where you've come from. No, no, not at all. And like I said, you besotted. We're asking Radio Five to talk about this as well. So just have a little, let's have a little listen to what besotted had to say on Radio Five about the coronavirus and about the fans not travelling to Wembley. Good morning. It is Tuesday morning on Five Live Breakfast. The government says, as you heard in the news, people shouldn't move into or out of eight areas in England where there are high levels of the Indian variant. Let's get Billy Grant's view. Brentford fan, host of the Besotted podcast. Uh, one of the areas, of course, is Hounslow, not far from Heathrow, home of Brentford FC, who are in the Championship playoff final. Morning, Billy. Morning, Nicky. Morning, Rachel. How are you doing? Morning. Fine. Fine. How are you doing? What do you think? What do you think? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm okay. My voice, sorry, my voice has gone after singing on Saturday and it still hasn't come back yet, you see. So, you know, obviously I'm very excited for Saturday. But these, yes. um, this, this new thing, actually, I have to admit, I have no idea about it until I woke up this morning. Um, obviously a little bit concerned just because of the, the information coming out. And, you know, I'm more concerned for, not myself, but more for, for Brentford fans out there because I actually... I, like many Brentford fans, don't actually live in Hounslow. I don't live near Brentford at all. I, I live quite far from Brentford. So, you know, this doesn't affect me. This doesn't affect any of the six people that I'm going to be sitting with. It doesn't affect most of my crew from the Besotted crew who come from, you know, from Stratford-upon-Avon, from Suffolk, from Sussex. They're coming from all over the place to here. So it doesn't affect that. So it's really weird how that you could see them sort of trying to blanket a whole fan base. Everybody wants to do what they have to do to make sure that everybody is safe. And the one thing that I've been really proud of as, as you know, as a Brentford fan base, 
that they've been over the last year is that everyone has been really sensible through, you know, one of the probably the one of the best years ever. You know, we got to the playoff final last year. People are watching it in their gardens, watching it in their homes. You know, we managed to get to the pub and the pub that we go to the go was fantastic. You know, socially distanced and everyone sort of just stuck by the rules and people have been doing it for so long. So now we've kind of, you know, we, we look like the lights at the end of the tunnel. We've actually got to Wembley again, which is a, which is a miracle in itself because we're not so far away from Hounslow. Yeah, but the thing is, look, on the 14th of May at the press conference, this is called enhanced guidance. And the Prime Minister said at 5.55pm, he said, look, be cautious about tra- travelling in and out of these areas. Be careful. Isn't that all it is? I think it is a case of be careful. I think the fact is that everyone has to do their own risk assessment. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. These scientists know know the business. The problem is that there's been so much of kind of varying information and also fairly woolly information that comes out. Also, I've been jabbed, you know, I've been jabbed. All the people that I know, they've also had their uh, vaccinations as well. And they've got their... And a lot of the people I know, they didn't come to the pub or didn't go out last year. We're all doing the right things. And I think this is the whole thing that you've got to rely on people being sensible themselves. Some people getting their own COVID test. It's relying on people being sensible and going about their lives with due caution and care. Well, I think that will happen anyway. But I think when I wake up and I get the phone with loads of WhatsApp messages saying, I've heard they're going to stop people travelling to Wembley from Hounslow. Oh, no, they've got the barriers up. It's not the law, it's not regulation, it's guidance, it's an advice. I'm just saying what, you know, half of our listeners are saying on this. i got to say, though, I mean, given you were at the football at the weekend and you said you've lost your voice, your voice has been mellifluous. So there you have it. You can catch that full interview of Pride of London. So, I mean, Bournemouth came on Saturday my I'll tell you something my, my voice is alright now but obviously if you learned the post-match podcast as well my voice was proper croaky and I was on a high on Saturday as well and the fans were in full voice in the new Griffin Park Stadium as well I mean Laney I know I mean we went to the game together we were beforehand in the pub really early together it was it was a Honestly, one of the best days supporting Brentford I can remember for a very, very long time. It's especially one of the best home games as well. Because sometimes home games could be a bit of a damp squib. But I think because we haven't been to a game for ages, this just almost turned it to a bit of an away game. You know, I'm just wondering, what were your memorable moments from uh, in the stadium, Laney? I was just so immensely proud of, 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 of so much that day. You know, first and foremost, I was proud of the support, um, the, 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 the levels of the noise uh, was just exceptional. I mean, God only knows what that place is going to sound like when it's packed out with 17,500 rabid Brentford fans. I was, I was delighted with the way that the, the players and the manager whipped the, whipped, whipped the place up. Um, even going a goal down, I, I, I personally didn't think we were out of it. I mean, it became almost impossible to fathom how we were going to turn it around and getting back into the game quickly was 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 pivotal and fortunately that happened. Um, but the players just just didn't give up. You know there was there was not once did I did I think that we were falling flat. And all the time that Bournemouth were you know cheating and falling over and the goalkeeper was 
doing these shenanigans. I just it just it just stoked my fire into thinking that I was about to witness something like truly exceptional, and it, it, that's what that's what transpired. And those those two goals, you know, people people say there was a bit of luck. People say that you know certain people said that it wasn't a penalty. Yeah, of course it was a penalty. You know, um, it's, uh, you know just just it was all day long, and you know it, we got what we deserved. And I think that for me was just. Probably one of the most, as I said, the proudest moments because Brentford so often don't get what they deserve, and you know, and we did. And I just hope, you know, what we've deserved over the course of the season is the outcome of, of, of our season. Yeah, I mean, for me, listen, pre-match, I thought it was brilliant. I, I love that she going in the pub really early, just building that up. That was a really, really great vibe. Like I said, in the, 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 the vibe in the, in the globe before the match was... It's, like I said to you, it's like an away game. When you get away games, people get up early, they make an effort, and they made an effort on Saturday. So that's fantastic as well. I mean, in the stadium, it was just lovely walking in. Uh, again, happy faces. People that you haven't seen for ages. Oh, Bill, how are you doing? Hello, Fred, how are you doing? Peter, John, you know, Julie, like, you know, I love that as well, you know. Haven't seen that for such, such a long time as well. You know, walking in with your daughter, going into the stand, hearing the roar, you know, seeing her face, her face smiling. I mean, she's missed the football as much as I have done as well. So that was lovely as well. Um, and for me, the, the, the moment was actually the equalising goal. It's actually when we equalised, because even when we were 1-0 and it was, uh, we got the penalty, it was one all. It was a little bit like, yeah, we, we felt we could do it, but we really needed to push on. But when that equalising goal came, that was the buzz for me and the singing, the noise, the pottiness in the stadium as well. And I also loved the cheating, just like you as well. The form of cheating at the time, it was not the cheating, it was the fans' reaction to the cheating. And, you know, they could get away with it when there's no one in the stadium. But the fact that we were all there, I mean, it wasn't until I went home when I saw Thomas Frank doing his watch thing, which I didn't see, obviously, in the stadium. None of us would have done, but him kept tapping his watch the whole time. We were doing the same thing because we saw the same cheating and, you know, we really did give it to the Bournemouth players and I thought that's just so typically football. But I, I loved it. But, I mean, we've said what we loved about the game, but let's listen to what the fans had to say in the stadium and in the pub straight after the match. I know it's the first time we've really had an atmosphere here, but as a home game... I can't remember the last time we had a home atmosphere like that for 90 minutes. And, and they made so much noise. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Absolutely brilliant performance. You know, I, you can't, cannot, cannot fault any player. It was just wonderful to see. And we're at Wembley. And, you know, just bring on next Saturday. If the backing is half as loud at Wembley as it was for us today, we'll, we can overcome any team that we face. Bring it on. The parallels were there from last season, do you know what I mean? Going into the second leg, one goal down. Last season we came out flying, this season we had 4,000 in the ground and I'll tell you what Bill, we made a difference today. I think we got us over the line. I'm buzzing, I was, I'm exhausted mentally. That was, uh, you know, no, the 10 men change it clearly but we were absolutely awesome, I thought, throughout that really. Um, I'm so excited, I so didn't want to lose this today and let's go to Wembley and take our chances and maybe this is our time. Come on Brent. And it was a fantastic performance and some really good um, individual performances and a lot of support for when things weren't going right. I was very happy with Janel. I thought he was superb. Uh, when you think about Norgard wasn't playing for whatever reason, uh, Janel stepped in like he has done all season. It was magnificent. His goal. That look goal. At, look, at, look at his goal, the, the, way, the way he just flicks his foot here. Yeah, and we had the good, good, uh, good Jensen today as well. Some of his balls were fantastic, just opening up space. Uh, just, just, oh, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm just bloody so happy. I mean, God, nobody could ever accuse us of not making any noise again. This is incredible. 
It really is. It's a fantastic stadium. I, I loved it. I loved it. They obviously were scared of us because why would you time wait from the 10th minute? That doesn't make sense, does it? So, you know, that, that's how I knew. That's, we just thought, well, no, if they're going to time waste now, we've got it. We've got it set. We've got it set. I thought from the t- time we made those substitutions in the first leg, Bournemouth were scared of us. And I think that's how it played out. They seemed to lose their, lose their rag a bit. And here we go again, just hoping we, um, we can do it 10th time lucky. We was all there together. And I thought, you know what, once we got that equaliser, there was only one team going to win this game. I'm a believer in Thomas Frank. And he made all the right substitutions at the right time with the right players. And you know what, we got fours on the end of it. So, happy days. Well, I'm I'm 79 years old and I've waited for this day. Just one more go, one more go at Wembley. And then we'll be in the Premiership. After five minutes, it was a bit of a shock to the system, wasn't it? But I tell you, after that, I thought the second half, we were well in control of the game. We really, really took the game over and, um, and deserved the win. Absolutely amazing. Four and a half thousand. What an atmosphere. What an atmosphere. And what a team performance. I go into this game next Saturday really optimistic. That place was rocking. It's like a fortress in there. We were incredible. Second half, we destroyed them. And bring on Wembley. Bring on Wembley. Yeah, the emotions going through through the yeah the first half, the early goal, the concede. Ivan penalty was was just like that was so tense. But second half was just momentum, momentum, momentum. It was it all paid off. Fucking bees, yes. Yeah, nerves were shattering me, but I knew we'd pull it one way or another. I, to, to begin with, I thought, we, is this going to go to penalties? But then. You know, we had it in the bag. We second half, we were so much more up for it, and Bournemouth were absolutely shit housing it. You know, throughout, so we we had it in the bag. It was good. It was all good. Second half, the nerves were gone. Ecstatic is not the word, honestly. We couldn't have scripted that any better. That was absolutely amazing. Bees did us proud. The crowd did us proud. Honestly, it was just unbelievable. I'm hoarse. I can barely speak. What an experience. What a day. Come on, you bees. Wembley, here we come. That is absolutely such an amazing victory today. We were definitely a 12th man. We gave everything. We sung. We've done everything we possibly could to push them boys over the line. And do you know what? Them Bournemouth were scared. They scored the goal and they started, they t- started time-wasting. Because if, that, if that's anything to go by, it, there's nothing going to stop us. Because you wait until we get in that Wembley stadium. It's going to feel like 100,000, let alone bloody four. We're, I'll tell you, mate... Uh, we were shit hot today and uh, it's a credit to every single person in that stadium and a big credit to them players because they outperformed that Bournemouth side like they weren't even there. It was all like watching a pantomime and then when Begovic is in front of us it's like watching a dissection of a human mind, a villain, getting it turned on him and you know, it's, uh, honestly, like, what a great start to the stadium. But actually, we, we, we wrote the story. We wrote the story there. Everyone stood up. The fans turned up. I've got mates, mates watching from around the world and family. And they said, what a great atmosphere. They say it's up there with the cup final. You know, this is why we go to football week in, week out. We got what we needed. And God damn it, we showed them that we're the fucking best team in the championship. I cannot wait for next week. Who says it? We're Premier League bound, boys. Come on, you bees. So that's the 
thoughts of the fans in the stadium and the pub. And you can catch the full madness of that interview, full 30 minutes of it. It's brilliant. Honestly, it's one of those ones which will make you smile and smile. Just catch it on prideofwest.london. Just check it out now. Just just listen to, watch loads of Brentford things. Watch all the videos. Watch, <laughs> watch a Bournemouth game again. I did that the other night as well, or the other day with my daughter as well for two days. We put it half, one game, one half, and then the, 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 the other half the next day. And it's brilliant. Just watch and listen to loads of Brentford stuff. But definitely listen to that interview. But anyway, it says something, Laney, the game itself. I'm just wondering, I mean, you said that you thought we were right, but realistically, what were you thinking when we went 1-0 down? Yeah, I mean, obviously our, all our hearts sank. And, you know, it, it, was, it was, as I said, it was just that kind of, how are we going to spin this around? And I guess the saving grace was it happened so early. And, you know, I, I, I guess I was, I was buoyed by the fact that I, I, I looked around me and within a minute, everyone was singing again. Um, and the, just the reaction of, of the players sort of told its own story and, and, and I, it, we, we didn't go flat and we, and we didn't look like resigned um, and we, we didn't look like we were quitters and to, to coin a phrase that I hate, we didn't look bottlers. You know, if, if, I hear that, if I hear that term one more time, you know, this, this team are not bottlers um, and um, they, they proved it. It, 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 was, it was just, it was just, just so inspiring. Um, so uh, yeah, as I said, it's kind of just just made me feel like crazy excited for the weekend. I put, I've got to say, I thought I thought it was all over at that stage. I thought Bournemouth were going to be too good, and I thought it was all over. And uh, to be quite honest with you, that just spurred us on. And Bournemouth was shown up to be, you know, what we always thought they were this season, a team of uh, a lot of very good players, but just not a very good team, uh, as in coming together. And that's probably why teams like, you know, uh, Barnsley and teams like that, you know, can get at them. Because, you know, when you come against teams who are actually teams, teams like teams, yeah, you know, they actually do the business. I mean, I'm wondering, what was the key moment for you, Laney? The key moment was um, at once we once we equalised was was the, the sending off probably um, that that really did put the cat amongst the pigeons. It was it was an absolute red card. Um, it was a brilliant brilliant tap tackle. I mean he, he, he did particularly well to take take him out. Um, well, I have to I have to say. Um, so yeah, it, it was the, the the referee making the right two very important two hundred percent correct decisions that went our way. Um, and um, yeah, down to ten men with the spirit that we were already showing, it meant that we were going to stretch them. You know, they were going to get tired. And, and I thought, you know, even if we didn't reverse it round and get you know the advantage before the ninety minutes, if the tie went to extra time, the fact that they'd been playing with ten men for pretty much three quarters of that match would 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 tell its toll you know we, we would get a chance and that we they, they'd be dead on their feet so yeah it, it was a sending off I mean I agree with you as well 100% the sending off I think that the sending off accelerated it I think that we were already at Bournemouth and Bournemouth the kind of team that you never know we make a little mistake and they can get a goal but as soon as that sending off came it was all over for them and we literally were we were at them like terriers you know and they were they were counting down the time and they would have taken penalties you know halfway through that second half they would have taken penalties most definitely I mean obviously we scored three goals that game but which one for you was the goal of the match? Uh, the one that made me go pottiest was Yenelts. Um we, we were stood right right behind it and uh, it, it, it just looked like it was in slow motion and it's a goal that I've seen you know, probably a hundred times since. 
uh, and you know it, it, it was just as I said it got kind of curled and dipped and swerved and you know it, it just I, I stood there with my jaw properly dropped and my son was stood next to me and we just looked at each other and kind of just yeah just looks like we were both going to cry uh, it was just the most euphoric high and um, you know after that I just I, I thought it was just a matter of time so yeah Yanel again I'm 100% with you I said that before as well that Yanel goal was absolutely tremendous the way that he took it it's interesting because if you listen to the pundits the pin- pundits are all saying that you know he didn't mean to do it he was lucky he made a tackle and the ball actually went in the back of the net and again it's, it's inter- over across a few platforms as well from you know from the Sky podcast as well through to you know to the I think it's the Totally Football League show and a few of the other ones everyone that's saying that he didn't mean to do it so I mean I, I've looked at it and I've studied it and I've looked at the way that he does it and basically I see that he's gone in he's seen a tackles something a block's trying to come in so he's just got in there quicker and just basically put his foot in put the ball in the back of the net but of course you know because obviously we we know characters at the club so I put a few little calls in just to find out exactly what the situation is and we spoke to somebody sort of quite senior and said to him look you know Yenel you spoke to Yenel about that goal he said yep yeah I have and said did he mean to do it he said I asked him and he said yes of course I did course I did so as far as we're concerned Yanelt meant to put that ball in the back of the net so all the other pundits and everyone like that making it up we've had it first class um, information you know from the horse's mouth so Yanelt said he meant to do it so you can make up whatever you want to on that one as well but Lady, give us your thoughts overall just on that game I think the actual turning point, and someone said it on the on the on the fans clips, was the substitutions in the second half after we'd gone a goal down at down at Dean Court. I think I think that was the moment the the whole tie swung, and it seemed that Bournemouth were just kind of scared of us and just determined to hang on to that one goal for as long as they could. The fact that they got you know, they doubled advantage so early. It's almost like they didn't know what to do with it, and they, they, their game plan was an awful game plan. It, it was one just to protect, frustrate, cheat, and annoy. And you know, it, it backfired, and it was just so beautiful to see that shithousery fail. Yeah, and for me, I mean, it was. I mean, I wrote an article a couple of days beforehand saying, "Look, B's got to go to this game with zero fear," and they went in there with zero fear. We, it's almost like, like I said, we've learnt from last year or the last years because we went in there, we did everything that we needed to do, we came out, and even though we were one nil down, we still went at them. A lot of people are arguing, saying, "Oh, we can only play if we're behind," but I just think that we have learnt massively from beforehand, and this game. I think it goes to show it as well and I'm hoping as well because obviously we played Swansea last year we're going to go in the final where I think we went into the final last year with fear and with overthinking and I'd like to think that they're going to take the, the, the lessons from this game and how we managed to conquer after basically being down and out take it into the final and just go and finish the job off but anyway those are our thoughts as well but just down the corridor here because like I said me and Lane are in one room you know in this our little virtual joint here but down the corridor there in the chomp lounge a few of the besotted characters I mean they've been partying since Saturday so I think we need to go grab them and catch their thoughts so after this little twang we're going to go into the chomp room and have a word with a few of the characters <laughs> Hold on a minute, what's going on in here? What's all this partying going on? Uh, You've been here since Saturday. You've been here since Saturday. Where have you been? 
Yeah. Listen, I've been trying to take this seriously. Listen, guys, listen. We know that we won on Saturday, but we still got a job to do next Saturday. So we need to stop this partying business and we get, need to get down to business. Great, great to see you all. So we've got Ali Malelli in the house. How are you doing, Ali? Yeah, I'm very good. I've just about got my voice back from um, Saturday and I'm looking forward to next Saturday in a sort of sadomasochistic sort of way. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And listen, we've got Will the Spreadsheet Winker in the house as well. Will, how are you? I'm all right. Yeah, I'm in the middle of exams at the moment, so I've got more on my plate to worry about than just the uh, just just the bees game on Saturday. Quite uh, quite quite grateful for the distraction, if I'm honest. <laughs> I hear that. Listen, we've got the West Country Liberal in the house. How are you doing, Liberal? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. First day today that it's been the sun has been shining for about a week, and I stepped outside and there were bees are buzzing, and that really has set me up for Saturday. The bees are finally out Ooh, and buzzing. Yeah, I'm feeling that and feeling that. We got Cham de Silva in the house. Cham, what's going down? I'm really well, Billy. Um, good afternoon to you and everyone else. Yeah, really, really happy that we're in the final. We have a chance of redemption, which is important in life and not just in football. So we're really looking forward to it and uh, chatting with everyone. Redemption sounds like you've been listening to a bit of Bob Marley there, Cham. <laughs> one of my one of the heroes. Let's just talk about that game against Bournemouth, okay? I mean, look, it was a great day out. I mean, I'm just wondering, what was your memorable moment of the day, Ali? Uh, my memorable moment of the day, I would have to say, was when Janot scored because I was just about to turn round <laughs> to Nick and John Jem and berate Marcondes and Janot for tackling each other and then all of a sudden the ball was in the back of the net and it was like mental so yeah that was and, and then the uh, the other one I must add this one was when four scored and Sergi who'd limped off suddenly recovered the full use of his leg and sprinted the entire length of the touchline to celebrate so yeah it was it was brilliant. yes somebody told Somebody, yes, I think we missed that. But somebody told us about yeah. that. That Sergi Kados was that. Apparently, he was like, you know, he was like, it was yeah, like, it's a miracle, was, like you know, what I'm saying, it's like, you know, it's, it's like the sort of the Pope would sort of come down and sort of kind of bless him in the middle, like you know, he yeah. read him his third rights, and before you knew it, yeah. he was alive yeah. again, like you know. So, so that was that was quite amazing. I mean, obviously, wonderful moments there for you. I mean, we've talked about me and Laney have talked about this Janot goal because we love, you know, we love the Janot. We love the Janot. I mean, you know, some of the and did you hear as well as well the punters were saying. Um, the, I mean, I've watched it as well because I know Liberal. You were talking about watching the game afterwards as well, and the punters, the pundits, they they weren't feeling that. They weren't saying it was he meant to do it, were they? No, absolutely not at all. They all thought that it was a sort of got a def- uh, the commentators. I think first of all thought it got a deflection. Then the rest of them thought that it was just a lucky strike. It clearly wasn't a lucky strike. My moment of the day, actually. I mean, as you all know, I'm a big softy. And actually, my moment of the day was the rendition of Hey Jude just before the game. And I'm not afraid to admit it, I had a few tears in my eyes. It was fantastic. Seeing, hearing, seeing 4,000 people in a stadium sounding like 18,000 people in the stadium. It was just wonderful. And what I really, really felt was Brentford came home to me on Saturday the club, we've put up with so much SHIT over the last 12 months. But the rendition of Hey Jude, Thomas Frank running around the touchline, I felt it couldn't go wrong. I really knew then that we were going to win. And tears were in my eyes, Bill. Old softy that I am. 
the old soft the, the, the singing for me was the key and that's why I said you know if we don't go up this season I'm so happy going in that stadium knowing listen we'll have 17,000 next season even in championship you know of course I don't want that to happen but if it does happen I ain't that fussed about it because that was so brilliant that day my voice was gone any other songs out there that you were feeling anybody just you know just throw it into the pot any songs that you were feeling um, which just kind of brought tears I, to I your eye Ali I love the way that Yana has got the Trotter song because I don't think we've sung that song since Trotter. And I, I love that song so much. It's like, yes, somebody's finally got it. And I can't think of anybody it's more fitting for. It's brilliant. Loved it. But the thing is, we didn't, I didn't hear the trot, that song down. I mean, how's it go again? The, the Trotter song, which one? Vitali, oh, Vitali, oh. oh. He yeah. came from Germany and oh, now oh. he is a bee. He only cost 10p. You were on. You were on the. You were on the right side, Bill. We were on the left side. The left side was singing. Couldn't hear the right side. Makes mm. a change. Uh, listen, we had, we, uh, we had we had our own songs going. Actually, you know, we didn't get the didn't manage to get the um, the, the Ivan Tony song going. Actually, because I think we were kind of split in the ranks on that one. But I think we might have to work on that on Saturday as well. I mean, I know Will, you you didn't quite make it to the game, but I mean, how did the atmosphere come across for you? Oh, the atmosphere, it looked incredible. Like, like the Liberal said, it, it genuinely felt like the stadium was full and the multicoloured seats didn't harm that for once. You know, I'm not, I'm not annoyed at the multicoloured seats. But yeah, it, no, it, the atmosphere looked absolutely incredible. The atmosphere in my living room was uh, a little bit less. It was just me being nervous most of the time. And then when Force's goal went in, I screamed and I got the cold shoulder from my girlfriend for the rest of the day because I hurt <laughs> her ears. But yeah, it, was, it looked absolutely incredible. And, and the moment for you, Will? Oh, the moment was that with, with that force goal. It was just I'd, I'd been so when 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 Muff scored first and that first goal went in, I was like, oh, here we go. You know, messaging my dad saying, you know, we're, we're doing a Brentford again, and, and, and to, to pull it back like that, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it is the the best Brentford comeback performance that I've seen in in, in my lifetime in my time watching these. That's a good chap. Good oh, chap. There you, yeah. there you go, Chav. Listen, I know that you you very much enjoyed the happenings there as well, Chav. So I mean, what was your what was the moment of the day for well, you? Well, I think being a bit more sadistic, uh, it was when, when Mepham was, uh, was sent off rightly and correctly. The entire stadium chanted, he's one of our own. <laughs> and I felt sorry for Meps because he's a good player and he's a nice lad. But it was, uh, it's, it's, it's nice uh, for us to get one of those because it's usually the other way around. It's usually us screwing up. So uh, for Mepham to do that, completely misjudged yeah. that. Um, Brian and Bomo, player of the match in my opinion, uh, was fantastic that day. He was really alert, took the ball. Uh, and Mepham just panicked and he's not had a good time at Muff um, the, f- the fans were really really um, leering into him because he cost them a lot of money didn't do his job really um, Stephen Cook was injured so he came in and that was the catalyst to their downfall and uh, that's how we, we came through the against 10 men they panicked they got defensive and, and we, we really capitalised on that and, and we won the game and they cheated as well didn't yeah, they yeah there was a bit of that but <laughs> the, oh, whole, God, they the cheated. whole thing is they, they approached the game the completely wrong way um, they started being negative they started cheating they, the Begovic who's a really experienced keeper completely lost his mind and we took it it, it galvanised us and we went ahead and, and won the game in, in spectacular fashion I think Begovic lost it. I think Begovic lost it for Bournemouth. Yeah, I, agree. I think Begovic yeah. was yeah. the most experienced player on that field, and he should have yes. been setting an example. And right from the right from the he, fifth he minute, captain. he, he started mucking around, fooling around, and not setting an example. And the other Bournemouth players thought, "Well, if Begovic is scared, we're going to be scared," and that's what happened. Pretty disgraceful. Mepham is one of our own, though. To be to be honest yeah, with you, I, isn't I, it? I, th- I think <laughs> I think Cham is harsh on him there. I think he did it absolutely on purpose. <laughs> Agent Mepham. Yeah. The, the agent Mepham, as has been said so so many times. I'm going to say to you as well, I mean, 
the, 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 I mean, the referee, some people talk about the referee was being bad, being good. I mean, what do you reckon of the ref? He did at least add the time on, didn't he? He did at least add the time on at the end of the first half because I was expecting the board to go up with the usual, stat, you know, two minutes and it went up with six. So he was at least adding the time on and he gave us the penalty and he set Mepham off. So they, he got those, those two decisions, the key decisions right. Uh, to be fair, he was he was a little bit lenient because the Tony uh, Solanke incident where Solanke clattered into him, for me, that's an even more obvious penalty. And the reason he didn't give that one was because he had sent Mepham off and it's sort of a double jeopardy situation and he didn't want to get into that. But for me, that was Stonewall. Um, the first one, we could, we could have, we had, could three have had three pence. We should have had two. We should have had one in the first leg as well when Smith blocked um, Fosu. So if, you know, on the balance of play, I thought the ref had a good game. Uh, and Bournemouth could have, they could have been you know, two or three down at, at half time. Uh, Tony missed a sitter as well. So uh, they're complaining because their, their, their squad and their team did the wrong thing. The referee, this instance. And they expect, yeah. and they expect, don't they, Chem? Oh, yeah, 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 as well. Um, but again, it's, 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 if you're blaming the referee after the, what, what, what Begovic is doing and what the players are doing, you know, even Brooks shushing Canos or whoever it was after they're going one up. You know, all of that stuff, all that play acting eventually galvanised us. It really spurred us on. And that's the reason when second half we came out firing. And that's why we're in the final, essentially. I mean, I think, I think the referee deserves a gold star for contributing to what was one of the balmiest, yeah. craziest, bestest, brilliant championship semi-final games that probably Sky have ever covered. You know, I think Sky were very grateful for the referee's performance um, alongside the great performance that Begovic put in and the fantastic performance that, that our team put in. But, you know, they must be... That will be a game that will be replayed through the ages, that one, without a shadow of a doubt. And you, you met, left out them, the fans, uh, the fantastic performance of the fans. I thought we were brilliant. Yeah. And I think the description in the, the, description in the times of near hysterical like, was probably about right. <laughs> No, definitely. And, and talking about, like I said to you, songs, because for me, the singing, I just loved the singing inside the stadium there, the different songs that were coming out and, and the typical songs as well. Because, again, it's funny because when you're at home, you watch the TV and you see everything that's happening. But as soon as you go inside that stadium, you've got your rose tinted glasses on again. And we're talking about the ref where everyone said that he had a fairly decent game. He did the right thing. But I remember in that game. We started singing, you know, you don't know what you're doing and can we have a referee, you know, and, and look as at you, he started chanting, we don't know what you're doing. I can't remember exactly what it was. And then somebody turned around <laughs> and said, what, except for sending their player off and giving us a penalty. And <laughs> and I just just had to laugh at that time. Think, oh, yeah, you know, that's a rose tinted glass, isn't it? Actually, that's a good point, Bill, because on the recorded, on those sort of voiceovers that we've heard um, all season long, you know, of artificial crowd noise, you never hear any chants like that, do you? You never hear what's the referee or the referees are you know what you know none of that comes across on the recorded crowd noise yeah brilliant not at all but listen we I think or I think I know you guys know as well we absolutely smashed Bournemouth I even think that even if Mepham didn't get set off we still would have smashed Bournemouth because we had the same mindset you talked about Thomas Frank ripping up the, ripping up the crowd we were in the in the globe from 9.30 in the morning singing along we were like potty for it so if we were like that you know multiply that by you know 4,000 and everyone else is potty for it as well but you know we got to attack it back a little bit because we can actually put our emotion behind it but sometimes we got to look at the figures and we have to go to somebody who's a little bit more sensible than us sometimes to actually give us the figures behind the game so we go to Will the spreadsheet winker and he's going to be giving us the figures behind the actual game absolutely so in terms of XG uh, of course first of all 
Bees ended up with 3.12. Muff made 0.42 from just four from just two shots. Dan Juma's uh, goal in the in the fifth minute was. Uh, nearly all of their XG, only 0.02 of their XG came from anything other than that that opportunity. So it was an absolutely incredible defensive performance from the Bees, and we absolutely crushed it in attack. You know, if you look at the the, the map on uh, the, the the kind of XG map on InfoGoal, the the Bournemouth box is just a sea of massive red splodges. You've got the penalty, obviously, automatically a 77% chance. Ivan Tony, uh, Ivan Tony Sitter that he missed was a 28% chance. Forces goal, 58%, and Jan Elts goal. My God. A tiny tiny little five percent chance from just outside the box so we absolutely crushed it in terms of the in terms of the attacking side but kept it unbelievably tight at the back as well i've got well can i ask a question bill of, of will how can the ivan tony penalty chance only be 77 percent i mean the guy never misses a penalty even despite being so it should be a you know I, we get a penalty on saturday or any day of the week ivan tony steps up he scores don't say that don't say that absolutely don't curse it, it. Uh, jesus <laughs> yeah it's a hundred percent hundred percent penalty success so far this season for Ivan. <laughs> oh no you're just tempting that worries me as well <laughs> i think what he's talking about is that Measured over all penalties, you know, everyone that takes them. It's not only yep. about Ivan Tony, ah, so that's, that's right. how they do it. Every single person that takes it, 77 out of 100 of them have gone in the back of the net. So there are people that do miss penalties, uh, and I'm sure there are probably people in other teams who'll go, who they'll know all about that, like, you know what I'm saying, which is good. But anyway, listen, we're going um, we're gonna to take a little break, come back, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Swansea. So there's Will, the spreadsheet winker there, with some interesting stats. And we're going to look forward to to the Swansea game. But interestingly, because, I mean, you gave us some stats there, which says that we absolutely hammered Bournemouth. And, and okay, we discussed this, but the commentators didn't, didn't, they didn't seem to quite see it that same way, didn't they? Just sort of saying we got lucky penalties, we got lucky shots, you know, we, we know if, if the player didn't get sent off, then it would have been different. But I mean, for me, I was thinking, I think in the writing was in the stars regardless. And uh, it's interesting because last year, everyone was properly all over Brentford, weren't they? Everyone just loved us. And do you think there's maybe just been a little bit of a switch where they're thinking, oh, well, we can't be so loving of Brentford this season. So they've actually kind of pulled off us a little bit because, you know, looking on TV, listening on some podcasts, it's been a little bit like, okay, fair enough. I don't think people have pulled off Brentford. Um, I think the problem, uh, not the problem, the issue is that they actually wrote all their pieces about us last year. So this year they've got to look for a new angles, you know, um, and uh, they they can't continue to, to, to write and say how brilliant a team we are and how our system is, you know, revolutionary and how good Matthew Benham and Thomas Frank are because, yeah, they wrote all those pieces a year ago. So either they just go to their computers and, and change a few words and publish them again or they actually have to look for a different different angle. I mean, I, I, I hear what people are saying about the commentators on Sky being a bit anti anti Brentford, I I felt having watching the whole game back as I did, you know, still in my probably alcoholic haze on Sunday afternoon, that it was you know they were reasonably fair. I thought you know how how on earth as I said earlier it was a batshit crazy game. So how you commentate and and and, and analyse what did happen? Um, I just think we should be grateful, you know, grateful that we're not regarded. Everybody's not talking about Brentford. Let's come from behind. Let's be a bit quiet. Hopefully, the next couple of days, we'll see all the articles will be about Swansea and about how wonderful a manager Colin Cooper is and how he's likely to be the next 
manager of I don't know Crystal Palace. You know, let them let let them concentrate on Swansea while we quietly go about our business. That's what I say. But I'm going to ask you. I mean, this penalty. Listen, the game's over and it's done with. And listen, it's fine. And this penalty that we should have probably had in, in Bournemouth, I think it is. And we should have had a couple of penalties. It doesn't matter. Let's talk about this one penalty because we had some commentators. I mean, I think Don Goodman was saying that was never a penalty in a million years. What is the defender meant to do? But let's just talk through this, OK? The fact is that, you know, first of all, surely the rules are the rules, right? Forget VAR. The rules are the rules. And... and and, and I, I sat in a room when I was in, in, as part of the FS, FSA as it is, or FSF at the time, and we had this referee explain to us exactly how the rules worked because we were kind of moaning about how referees seem to get it wrong all the time. And he said to me, look, you know, he talked about unnatural positions. He talked about, you know, how, where your hand can and can't be. And if it strikes it, whether or not it's a penalty or not, doesn't matter, you know, whether or not you meant to do it or not, because he's talking about in, in natural positions. And he said, and that's just the way it goes. So these are the rules. Now, if a player decides that, for some example, your player is so skillful, he manages to get around a couple of defenders. He's in a position to put a ball in, which means that one of your defenders has got to run over to, right, to get himself back into position. And in him doing that means that he has to raise his hands He's doing that because he wasn't in the right position in the first place. So you should know what the consequences are of potentially doing that. And if the ball is struck up and it happens to hit your hand, well, you know, it's all over as far as I'm concerned. And the fact is that if it didn't hit his hand, the ball would have gone over and could have gone into the middle of the area, caused mayhem, and we could have scored a goal. For them to turn around and say, oh, that's not a penalty, it's almost like you're not watching the same game as the rest of us and you're trying to make up excuses or go back to back in the olden days where kind of you can get away with murder. But it's kind of like, you know, that move would have affected the game. I mean, you know what I'm talking... I mean, I know we're all on the same side here, but sometimes you sort of think, why is that even an argument? And Woodgate was going on about the same thing, wasn't he? Look, 20 years ago, that wouldn't have been a penalty. Um, you know, so some of you younger ones who've be, only been watching the game for a short period of time, look at you, Ali, you know. I, mean, <laughs> you know, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, um, you, you will think that, you know, what happened on, on Saturday was, was correct toward. I can see if you're a grizzled old pro like me, you could say the game's gone because, you know, if you can't, he was running naturally, he stuck his hands up and it just happened to hit him. But, but today's rules, it's a penalty. Anybody yeah. disagree with me or anybody no. want to put an alternative? No. No. I mean, no. If, if, if that was the Premier League, VAR gives that every day of the week. Yeah, OK. There's no question about it. You yeah. could argue the game's gone then. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. you could. But... I mean, why didn't he just, just tackle normally? Just instead no. of going on with his, with his hands, yeah, just tackle normally like, you know, mm. like a normal player would. It's just a bit of desperation. He was, he was lunging in. It hit his hand, unfortunately, but he prevented a goal-scoring opportunity. It was a good cross by Emiliano going to Tony, going to the box. And like I said before, uh, we had a clear penalty afterwards denied as well. So for me, it all balanced out. Uh, it went in the back of the net. And again, but Bournemouth was still in the tie at that time. So Woodgate's whole comments is, is about the penalties. It's, it's just covering up his, his poor tactics and his team's... Uh, reaction to the whole whole game. I, don't, I mean, that's why I, I don't. I don't think as well. People. I I think Woodgate's got it wrong because I don't think it's the penalty that changes the game. It's the sending off that changes sending the game off, for yeah, me. Yeah. Which was yes. at, which even he doesn't dispute. Nobody's disputed it's sending off. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I don't know why he, he. It's almost like he's trying to distract from you know to distract from 
their their performance, which I think he yeah. probably is actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, which he did, and, and, but Meps had to bring had to bring Moembo um, um, down. There wasn't, you know. Of course he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He doesn't because all that happens there is he gets sent off. Okay, you don't know uh, Brian's going to score that goal. I mean, he, you know, and you don't know Begovic isn't going to save it. And they at least still have eleven people on the pitch and the highest level. Now, now yeah. there are ten people on the pitch, you know, and for for sixty minutes. So uh, you see, I, in some ways, I, think, I disagree. I disagree. In some ways, I think it's a more natural reaction what Mecca yeah. did than 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 what um, than than the player who gave away the penalty did actually. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I think it's a natural reaction, but I don't think I, I'd say he has to do it. Is he doesn't have to do it? You know, yeah. but in, I, I in the moment was... of sheer panic, yes, I, I think I, most, I, I, most yeah. players would have done it. I just think yeah. it's a player who's under under pressure. He's he's been you know he's replacing club legend and captain Stephen Cook. He's under a lot of pressure. He's had a poor season. He's had injuries. He's thinking about his well spot as well. All of that, uh, you know, he gets caught out trying a, a really easy ball to clear. Brian gets him, and then he goes into in that moment of pressure. You do your natural thing, and he brings him down, and that's that's what he does essentially. Um, the Chris Metham that we sold to Bournemouth probably would have cleared that ball or would have brought it down better and, and passed it out. But the one that's currently in, 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 in Bournemouth now, who's under pressure, who's got a big price tag, has had a, quite a poor number of years, he's, he's, that's what happens. And it's just uh, the part of football, really, that, uh, and the fabric of football, which has led us to the final, really. It's just one of those, those key moments. I, yeah, hope he has a crack- I hope he has a cracking Euros. I hope he has a really good Euros for us. Yeah, yeah, fingers I, crossed. I bet no ill will. Yeah, so for listen for Woodgate, I think the the, the proof is in the bean of the pudding here. You know, with Woodgate, he, um, I mean, my 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 hope was that you know he would show himself to be a rookie manager. You know, and I said this before the match. You know, when he was at Middlesbrough, he didn't do a very good job. Uh, I wonder whether or not he's able to change games during the game, and I think he proved that he's not able to do that now. And also the way that his team went off the rails as well. I just think that you know, shows Thomas Frank, who is a rookie manager as well, but he's got two years on Woodgate now as well. I think that was the battle that we won out that one, which is all good. But just coming back to the XG stats and talking about to the to, to Will stats there as well just looking forward to the Swansea game I'm just wondering you know Cham what listening to that has made you confident about the Swansea game for me the confidence I get from Swansea is the away performance that we put in in the league um, yeah quite you know, earlier this year where we absolutely dominated them we should have been two three goals up our XG was far superior to them but they managed to get a I think they fouled rare at a call at the corner and they managed to get a goal back. Um, that We can get a lot of confidence from that. In terms of Swansea in general, I think they, they are a good team, but they're not as good as, as we are in terms of collectively. And I think we are a better team than them. Um, again, it's all about that, that one performance, that final performance. It's all about turning up. But I generally think that we've got the, the team that we, we deserve in the final. Had we got Barnsley, I would be very, very negative because Barnsley are our kryptonite. They have a, a system and a, and a proven system of nullifying us and being effective and playing their game plan. Swansea are a team that we, we beat three times last year. Uh, I know we drew two eyes with them this year, but I, I do feel that we have a, a much better platform and, and much better players to really go ahead and, and, and win the final. Whether we do so is up to them. So. Uh, hopefully we all of us as fans we can take a lot of comfort from our performances against Swansea and also what we've done in the past as well Ali 
Uh, well, I think I, I take, you know, the, the XG is huge from that Bournemouth game, which is fantastic, that showed we're, we're very confident going forward. So that gives us... And, and watching the game play out, that was quite obvious. Uh, also, the other thing I would say is, and you all know that I have been critical of Thomas Franco at, at points of this season for not being willing to change stuff when it's been quite obvious we need to change stuff. And I think almost changing the system when we went to the three at the back and the wing backs has, in a strange, strange way, has almost freed his mind because I think six weeks ago he would never have made a half-time substitution and brought force on in a million years. And I think he's, he's become confident in his ability to change stuff during the game, not wait to the 70th minute. And I think... You know, if things aren't aren't going so well, we know that we've got two or three systems we can change to, all of which have been proved to work. The only thing I would say is, please, 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 can we leave somebody back at corners? <laughs> please, I know <laughs> it's probably a stats thing that shows the likes of Dan Juma's goal. You know, it, it's unlikely that he'll score in that situation. And as my teenager pointed out, you know, Dan Juma is effectively a Premier League class forward, so it's you know it, it, it's more likely with him but you know I think there was the 87th minute we're a goal up and we have a corner and Pontus and Dalsgaard both went to the bench and with their arms up do we leave somebody back and we still don't leave anybody back and it's just sort of like I don't see what somebody like Roslev uh, is going to offer at a corner to be honest so just leave the guy back we always used to do it when we had when Rico was playing I don't see why we're not keeping somebody back it would just I think we just need to learn that lesson learn that lesson and I'm confident that we can win. Whether or not we do is another matter. I think that we can write Swansea off. They're a good team. They're a very good team. And it will be a, it will be a very tight game. A very tight game. But you be. I hope you're going to do it. Liberal. Uh, uh, um, uh, my biggest wish is just that we turn up. I am too, yes. too fed up with going to big games in Wembley Stadium or the Millennium Stadium at Cardiff and Brentford not playing like we know that they can do every single time the five times you know four times we've been in finals five times if you include the freight rover or whatever it was you know we just seem to freeze um actually I think sad as it is not to be playing in front of 80,000 fans I think actually 10,000 uh, capacity at uh, Wembley on Saturday will help us um, because I think that it will provide a more normal atmosphere. The two sets of supporters that will in, be in the ground will be absolutely roaring and behind their teams, but whether the atmosphere would be as good as it would be with 80,000, who who knows? Swansea, I mean, Cooper's a good manager. Um, their style of football is not one that I enjoy. And I just wonder whether actually they are becoming too reliant on on A. Will will probably correct me on the stats on this one, but I think I, you know, if I doesn't score, Swansea have problems. Whereas actually, I think we probably have more goal scorers or potential goal scorers. Um, I might be talking off my backside. Will am I talking off my backside with that? No, absolutely not. No, you're exactly right. Swansea have two main threats. It's Jamal Lowe and it's Andre Ayew. The problem with them is that both of their threats are incredibly good. Um, this is the thing. is uh, there's, there's two things, really, that, that I think make this game quite different from the, 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 the second leg against Bournemouth. The first one is that, obviously, you know, we, we, we only conceded, what was it, 0.42 XG against Bournemouth. Um, 
we're going to concede more uh, than that probably again uh, from, uh, from 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 AU and, and, and from low um the other, the other thing that I think is different is that Swansea's defence is better than Bournemouth's. You know, they, they have two absolutely incredible fullbacks who who kind of protect those channels very, very well, two young fullbacks. Um, they've got uh, a, a, a tighter defence. Interestingly enough, it, it, it's, it's been very interesting looking at it from a, a kind of pure XG perspective with Swansea this year because they, they average, um, in, in, an, in an average game, they will score, they will uh, create 1.2 XG and the opposition will create 1.13. So they actually only outcreate the opposition on average by 0.07 XG per game. The comparable figure for Brentford is something like we create 0.8 more XG, right? So looking at it just in terms of XG is is, is not going to give you the full story. But equally, you can't predict a single game based on those kind of season-long XG averages. So it, it becomes a lot more difficult to kind of predict, especially when it's someone like Swansea who've bucked the XG trend a lot this year. And thanks. That's really useful, actually. And that also confirms, I think, as one thing as well, is that I'm not Cooper will, won't have come across the Brentford team playing three at the back. Um, with the two yeah. wing backs, and I think that could be that could be their Achilles' heel and 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 the key to our performance as well. Um, be interesting to see. You know, will Christian Norgar be back on Saturday? Um, obviously, suffered a tweet before the game, um, Bournemouth game. Uh, be interesting to see. And do you know? Is do we at any stage and time risk Henry? Personally, I don't think we should do. I think we should say thank you for what you've contributed this season but that's it for you but I think having Christian Norgard back even if it was only for an hour would be a huge contribution for us I don't think Bournemouth would have scored their first goal if Norgard had been in the team on Saturday who, 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 who comes out then for Norgard to go in <sighs> You're, after you Saturday know. I mean normally I, I mean I completely agree with you but I thought Mark Condas had a really really good game Jensen good Jensen turned up and good Jensen who can tackle turned up yeah, you know, and you can't drop drop Yano. No, I mean, if it were anybody, uh, uh, you know, my 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 impression based on nothing else but watching the game is Yano uh, is Jensen has one good game and, and one and one bad game, and so he had his good game on Saturday. He might be in line for his bad game, but I mean, you know, that's why I'm not Thomas Frank. I'm not the manager. If if I if Norgard was fit, I'd probably drop Jensen. But because as I said. Probably Norgard's only got sixty minutes in him, but you know that's it. I mean, the other big one, the other big, you know, there is a thought: is Pontus up for it? No, he'll I thought Pontus had a good game. Pontus yeah, had he had a great game. game. He definitely yeah. will be. And, and if you listen to the um, his his little press briefing afterwards, the way he spoke and the passion he had um, within the actual uh, within the conference as well, you can tell he he's up for it. And you know, for me, with Norgard as well. You know, he had, I believe it's an abductor strain he had. Um, okay, okay, I'm not a doctor, I don't know how it is, but uh, yeah, he, for me, I don't, I don't think he'll be involved. Uh, I just, I, don't, I think it's too risky to have a player with, with an injury like that uh, coming into a high intense game. I thought Mark Hunders was, was sensational. Um, you know, he just covered every blade of grass, was really, really good. And, you know, you know people forget that he's, he's leaving in the summer. I mean, he hasn't been offered a new contract, hasn't signed anything, and he'll be really up for, for, Ending potentially ending his B's career with with, with a win, um, but I think those three again. It's all about Jensen. Jensen's the the key. If he plays to his potential, we'll we'll have a much easier time. If he doesn't play, then he, we're carrying him and we're effectively down to ten men. So it's all about what kind of Jensen and and because the one we got on on Saturday was a complete contrast to the one we got in the first leg. 
So we just need to hope and just pray that he he turns up and, and delivers the goods because some of those passing, some of his 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 vision is 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 crucial for us to go anywhere near. And um, as Bill said, Bournemouth's defence, especially you know uh, Gui and and Kabango, uh, on loan I believe from Chelsea, they they were class against Barnsley. They were amazing in that second leg against Barnsley. Shut down literally everything. Um, so in order to unlock that defence, we need Jensen to be on top top four. Uh, and that, and if he is, then I think we'll have a better night of it. If he isn't, it could be, uh, it could be tears. So, so Ali, I've got to ask a question though, because this is quite important for Swansea. We 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 know, you know, <clears throat> what you're confident about, but what do we need to look out for? Well, we need to look out for being caught on the break, which is why, and especially being caught at corners, that does scare the living daylights. I mean. Andre Ayew is a bit of an Achilles heel for us, I think. He's a he's a very, very good player. And I, just, I would be more confident, and this is not to knock any of the work that, that Canos has done, who I think has been sensational the last few games. Uh, I would be more confident if Rico Henry was was in the side and fit facing Andre Ayew than... Um, he, he is the one that really worries me. If we could keep Ayew quiet... I think that is the key to the whole game for me. Keep I quite keep the whole game. The only other thing that worries me is Pods had an excellent game with Sassy. I think he controlled his uh, aggression and his absolute desire to win the playoffs. And he needs to control it again and not let it get, you know, out of control as he as he as he can do, as he did in the first leg. Um, and I think to a similar extent, Tony as well needs to just be in control of, of you know, his feelings and his aggression because what we don't want is one of them to end up being sent off because that would be a disaster. And that, that worries me slightly. So there's a lot of Thomas Frank and his team have to do a little bit of work on the whole mental side of that. And whatever Jensen did in his pre-match routine on Saturday, he needs to do it exactly the same, exactly the same way, exactly the same, you know, <laughs> because I completely agree, he is key to that. Cham, what do we have to look out for? Yep, I use the main threat. He's he's actually had a great record against us, hasn't he? He scored last year. He scored um, at, you know, earlier this season as well. Jamal Lowe has been a good understudy to him. Played really, really well. Um, also, Matt Grimes. Matt Grimes, very, very influential. Scored an absolute worldie uh, against Barnsley in the second leg. But all these players... As long as we control IU, I do believe that person per person, player per player, our team is better. I genuinely believe that on a, on a first team basis. And if we just work on ourselves, make sure that we turn up, we play to our potential, then we'll be fine. Of course, we've got to be aware of, of, of the opposition. We've got to be aware of the circumstance as well. But we, I, I do believe that us having Swansea compared to us having Barnsley in terms of the mental shift is far more positive for us. Your know, Barnsley ruined our season last year. They broke our amazing win streak this year. There would have been some, some mental damage from that and scars from that, which I, I believe may, may come up in, in the final. Against Swansea, I think in terms of the mentality, in terms of the, the way we approach the game, it's, it's a from much better, more positive place. And as long as we control what we can do, we, we obviously work out the opposition, we play to our strengths, I think we could come come through it and, and do well. Right, so listen, just going around the table here, just quickly, I'm going to get a score prediction from you, Ellie. Oh, one nil, Pontus, last minute header. Uh, I'm going to go for three one, three one to Brent. Um, it'll be tight at half time, but we'll score some late goals and seal it. Liberal Nick. 
2-1 Brentford. Okay, and for me as well, we've got the Winker because the Winker's actually partying between two rooms. He's jumping between one room and the next as well. You know what I'm saying? He's like a proper student party animal. So we'll be hearing what he's thinking a bit later. And as also with me as well at the end of the podcast, I'll tell you what I thought. But listen, I'm going to leave you, Todd, guys, to carry on partying. I recommend that you actually go to bed, get a bit of rest, and then we can actually go and do it again on Saturday and be really serious about it. You're going to do that for me? No, rest is, no, rest is for the week. You know, Party just on. keep going. Just keep, keep the high going. going. Come on, come keep on, you beef. Let's just come keep on, going at it. Let's come on, it. come on, another one, another drink. Yeah. Rubbish dad, that's me, rubbish dad. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, listen, <laughs> good chat to you all, you guys, and I'll catch up with you on Saturday, all right? Look forward to it, Bill. Come on, you beef. See you Saturday. Well, that was a bit of a laugh, actually, with the characters in there. God, I don't know if they're going to get asleep before Saturday, but keeping things in the same party vein, let's go and check out a party man, JB, who's going to give us a load of Wembley and play off facts and funk. Jonathan Birchall here again. Wembley Stadium hosting a Brentford visit with a crowd of around 10,000 fans, just a fraction of the ground's capacity, with rows and rows of empty seating all around. It's not a prediction of the playoff finals on Saturday, but from actual reports of our very first visit to Wembley Stadium in 1930. Clapton Orient, as Leighton Orient were then known, were briefly unable to use their home ground for Division 3 South fixtures, so switched their games to Wembley. That small attendance saw us lose 3-0. This year's final will be the 25th game we've played in the playoffs over the last 30 years. Amazingly, we've only kept one clean sheet. That was the 0-0 draw away at Huddersfield in 2002 with Paul Smith in goal. So apart from being our 10th playoff, Saturday will also be our 10th visit to Wembley Stadium, or its substitute in Cardiff. In the six finals of the last 30 years, only three players have scored. Dobson, Dean and Dowsgaard. All defenders. Thomas Frank is leading a team back to Wembley for the second time. The only other manager who'd previously done likewise was Harry Curtis. Apart from the Orient game, the London War Cup final of 79 years ago, our solitary victory was on his second visit. So that was JB with his facts and his funk. And uh, Wembley, Wembley, he's the famous JB and he talks about Wembley. Uh, not on Clapton Orient, 1930, Laney, but uh, listen... To me, <laughs> 25 playoffs and one clean sheet. And uh, again, I keep forgetting because obviously we have been to Wembley before, you know, the you know the, the, the initial Leyland Daft trip that we did in 1985, which is probably the, the first time that most people that I know would have gone to Wembley. So I could sort of count on my hands how many times I've been to Wembley. And I think this is going to be the seventh time. Uh, as if you include last year, of course. I think it is. I'm not quite sure. But JB talked about the fact that we've actually been to 10 Wembleys and Cardiffs. I mean, Cardiff as well, there's a couple of those in there as well. So uh, 10 of those. So I think I've probably been to, it's going to be eight out of the 10. That's, that's quite a lot of times to go somewhere without winning, in it, lady? Yeah, it is. It is. And I'm not going to expand upon that because <laughs> like, we, 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 we've said that, you know, looking back doesn't, doesn't have any impact on the future. So, yeah, it's, it's, fasc- it's fascinating. And, and, you know, I hope, hope we can replicate the, the proud day when, when Brentford lifted the uh, London War Cup. Um, Harry Curtis and Joe James and, you know, that, that Di Hopkins team. 
uh, you know, this this one of the proudest moments in the club's history, um, and it's you know it's set it's set for for something similar to happen. But a new generation of Brentford heroes could have got an opportunity to go out and, and do something that you know this generation and future generations will never forget. It's you know it has to be our turn at some stage. That's 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 what I'm hoping. And what I'll say, I think, was interesting at the six finals, the six player finals that we've been in, we've only had three scorers: Dobson, Dean, and Dalsgaard, all defenders. So, and what I'm going to say about this game, do you think this might be a calling for Pontus Janssen to finally get, you know, his first goal for the Bees? Wouldn't it be brilliant? You know, we 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 have actually been kind of qu- scratching our heads, wondering why he hasn't scored for us yet. And uh, you know, yeah, if if ever there was a moment to pick, it it, it could be this one. But uh, you know, I guess we're all hoping that the, it's the it's the you know the the forward passing, the you know the the the, the stretching and the, the and the you know the brilliant pro proactive gameplay that we've got that that kind of like you know. It, it, that's the, the biggest success of the day. If we're if we're looking for our defenders to be scoring goals, something's not going right, probably. So uh, I'm hoping that. Uh, may, yeah, maybe I'm hoping he doesn't score. He won't need to. <laughs> All right. So listen, Saturday, Swansea stand between Brentford and the Premier League. After the break, we're going to talk Swansea. So Swansea, playing them on Saturday. We've played them a few times. We know quite a lot about Swansea I'm just wondering what is one of the things that worries you about Swansea Laney one of the biggest things that worries me is that from the outside looking in it looked like they were really spluttering over the line uh, the last couple of months of the of the season they they weren't anywhere near their best and it was it was it was kind of a struggle you could see that um, at one stage, they seem to be getting a lot, a lot of luck going their way, and a lot of, lot of, uh, lot of the, you know, the, the, the cheating we call it was, was, was paying off for them. Uh, then all of a sudden, it seemed they, they hit a wall. Now the season's over, and they've, they've kind of got some success against Barnsley. Um, they're, yeah, they're still, you know, from looking at those semi-finals, a long way short of, the, you know, the, the best they've been this season. But I'm. I'm kind of a bit concerned that they can kind of relax and not worry about getting over the line now. They can just get on with their game plan and, and that is something that, you know, that, that, pre, that, that pre pressure release, it, it might help them. So I'm, I'm worried about them being at their best. Um, if, if, they're, if they're anywhere near how they've been towards the back end of the season, we, we, we should have their number. But, you know, they're, they're, they are a decent team on their day. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that worries me about Swansea is just their, as I call them, the premium goal scorers that they've got, the people that can put the ball in the back of the net when they get one opportunity. Listen, we've scored loads of goals. We create loads of chances. We talk, we're going to talk about XG on this show because, you know, we, we like the stats type of things, but we do create a, a plate full of chances. We, you know, we, the number one XG team in the division and technically if we put away all the chances that we'd have we would have won this division but we don't do that because we're Brentford but Swansea they get one chance or two chance per game with Ayu with Lowe whoever it may be maybe Conor Huran with a free kick and bang it's in the back of the net so I'm just nervous that we we get caught into a tight game with Swansea we're still trying to eke our way out of it and we're trying to get Ivan Tony the ball up and then they get a free kick or something like that or nick a ball in front of the in front of the six yard box and bang in the back of the net so I think that's what we got to wonder about but for me listen we can talk about Swansea all we want but we need to get a little bit more info on Swansea so we're going to chat with Luke from Swanscast 
to get the lowdown on Swansea. So, this big game on Saturday at Wembley, Brentford and Swansea in the playoff final. And we've already played ourselves twice this season as well. Two one-all draws, which means that, you know, well, no one's knows a winner so far. So uh, there's going to be one winner at the end of this one. And we have got no idea who it's going to be. But I tell you what, Swansea, they've been through, I wouldn't say through the ringer, but they've been up and then they've been down and then they've been up again and they've been doing all right recently. And I thought I need to go over to Luke over at Swanscast to find out exactly what's going down with Swansea before the playoff final. Luke, how are you doing? Yeah, good to you. How are you doing? I'm not bad, man. Nerves as in nerves. I haven't started thinking about it yet. I think as we get closer to the weekend, they're gonna they're gonna start creeping in. Yeah, I can I can imagine. I can imagine. I'm gonna ask you a question because I know that you um, the ballot was I think it was today um, for you guys. Have you got a ticket as yet? Are you still working on that? Um, I haven't myself. I'm not a season ticket holder because of my actual work commitments. I can't I can't get season tickets, so I didn't go in for the ballot. But um, hopefully, everyone that that did. Did, did successfully yeah so, uh, yeah no it is it's a difficult one as well and obviously like i said you want to want to thank you guys as well and guys and girls over in, in swansea for uh, for working together with us to try and get more tickets for all the fans it's not only for brentford fans and swansea fans but all for all the fans in the playoffs because as you know you know twenty one thousand at the fa cup final only ten thousand for the playoffs we didn't think it was particularly fair for so fair play to the brentford independent supporters association who started a, a, a little petition and put it out there and got the ball rolling on that to try and see if we can get us more tickets. Been speaking to John Varney, the CEO of Brentford as well. He's been very much involved, you know, got the Swansea people involved, trying to get everyone else involved. I've spoken to all the fan groups that I've known as well, which is pretty much all of them up and down the country, and they've they've really, really backed it as well. And we'll just have to see. I mean, we might not be able to do it, but at least we try. So since we met earlier this year, I mean, how has your season gone? Well, it's been... I would say a season of two halves, so and that kind of is reflected in the two games that we played each other. I would say the game where we played up at your place um, was probably more of an equal game. I'd argue, you might say biasedly so, that we could have come away from that game with uh, three points. We definitely played better away against you than we did at home. That's definitely for sure. I would say, and I'm sure you will agree, we were lucky to come away with a point in that game. But that kind of reflects our season. The, the early form we showed in the first half of the season, especially because of our defence, we were keeping teams out, doing the job, scoring one or two goals usually. It was a little bit of a meme that we couldn't score more than two goals. I think only one, one or two games this season we actually did it in the league. Um, so the first half of the season, yeah, we were competitive for the top two automatic promotion slots uh, all the way probably till the end of January. And maybe tiredness sets in, of squad depth is a bit isolated, Um we, we kind of start conceding some goals that we weren't conceding earlier in the season whilst also not necessarily up in our scoring game. If anything, our scoring game got even worse um, as teams maybe found out how to mark RU and Low out of the game. And we did start to have a bit of a struggle uh, in a certain period in February, March. We did manage to bounce back, come out of it, we changed our formation a little bit got over the line I would say that's the way to put it in terms of finishing in the playoffs it was a bit of a ropey moment towards the end where some Swans fans thought we might even fall out of the playoffs and be the Nottingham Forest of last year as you will especially with us benefiting from that as well last year but um, no, we managed to get there Steve Cooper made the changes he needed to do he freshened things up the way he needed to and in the end we've got to say it's a successful season so far 
and it is progress from last year. It's interesting because you talked about the lean spell that you that that you went through. You know, why why do you think that was? I think it was well. We had a couple of players recalled in January, like Morgan Gibbs White, who was meant to be our star catalyst going forward this season. Um, he got injured earlier in the season, and we managed to cope without him for the first part. But attacking-wise, was never a strength. As I mentioned earlier, we more built upon the solid defence and got one or two chances and put them away. But then, you know, teams learn to defend against that, and you do need a bit of a spark. And we kind of didn't didn't have that. Um, we weren't playing with an attacking central midfielder which is where Gibbs White would have played uh, he came back from his injury came on for a cameo as a sub and then got recalled which which was act- well we were we were very upset about that I'll, I'll, t- I'll be honest but then we brought in Cora Horahan and he, he had a good impact however maybe not as um, much of a flair player so he didn't really fit the same void he fit into the system in some way but not the same way so in terms of our attacking threat it, we didn't really have anything added. We also had uh, Casey Palmer recalled, but we brought in two Americans. We, put, we brought in Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola. So Morris was the one that was the highlight that was we were hoping to get a bit of a spark from. A little bit of pace uh, running through the middle. He suffered a very, very tragic injury, I would say, uh, an ACL in the opposite knee to the same injury he's already done in in the other leg and ruined his season and I think kind of at the same time knocked us back a little bit in our plans because we hadn't addressed our problem of not having a striker which is something that we've had all year an out and out striker obviously we've had low and you play in that position so a combination of all these things thick and fast games come in which I know every team's had to deal with to be fair so it's not so much of a, as an excuse but our squad depth I think was really being tested and I think the tiredness did just start to set in and a bit more sloppiness and that's that's why the poor results maybe started to come in. Um, and I think, looking at the games against Barnsley, we've just done in the semi-finals, now we are a bit fresher again. We sort of went back to playing that game style we've played where we're keeping teams out, stopping them from getting in and, and, uh, and scoring goals and then just being a bit clinical. It worked again against Barnsley. We've done it very effectively. Now we've had a bit of a rest, so... Um, yeah, a combination of things really but it's interesting because you talked about how you flip the script a little bit you know you normally play 3-5-2 and then when you started to kind of uh, come a little bit unstuck you actually flipped it to 4-3-3 and that, that seemed to help you didn't it yeah so you say we say flip the script but the five at the back system has only been implemented the last year or so so um, it came in after we restarted from covid the lockdown the first time Four at the back has been the way we've played for the majority of time over the last 10, 15 years, I would say. Um, there's been periods like under certain managers like Paul Clement, uh, maybe Guidelin or Carvajal, where we have gone five. But under Steve Cooper, his first year was all four until the end. Um, and when he changed it, like that's when we went on that run that got us into the playoffs. So he continued that into this season, and that's, that's why we've played that way for the majority of the season. However, we started again getting into a bit of a rough patch and probably did need to change things again. And and looking at what happened in January, you've mentioned Morris and Ariola. We also brought in Whitaker, who has been when he has been used, has been on the wing more than a striker. I've got a feeling he intended to go for at the back a bit sooner. Because Morris, winger slash striker, Ariola winger, maybe right back or striker, he can play anywhere basically. Um I think after Morris's injury, Ariola didn't really... I don't know what happened there, but he just 
didn't play and then got sent back. Um, yeah, I think maybe he was planning that change earlier, got a bit limited. Cullen and Routledge also got injured, so we kind of had to stick to our, our five at the back a bit longer and we did suffer a little bit as a result. Fans were calling. By the time we changed, it was it was quite like quite negative, which is surprising considering where we finished. But um, it did do the job in the end and flicked the switch and got us over the line. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about Steve Cooper. I mean, do you rate Steve Cooper? Um, yeah, well, I think he's... Potter came in and he steadied the ship coming back down from the Premier League. And Steve Cooper, in his two seasons, has progressed each time. So... I don't think it's a question there. Like at the end of the day, he's done a fantastic job. Maybe it's a bit different from what some Swansea fans want or would expect in terms of style of play. Sometimes a little bit more rigid and defensive, but you know he's done what he's needed to do with limited resources, with a little bit of a fire sale at times in terms of our players and our squad, bringing youth through the ranks and finishing in the playoffs two seasons in a row, getting to one final. So. I think he deserves his plaudits. No, no. Okay, which is fair enough. We'll talk about Scooper in a minute because, like I said to you, Brentford fans, uh, not not overly keen on Cooper. I don't think Cooper's overly keen on Brentford and I don't think Swansea fans are overly keen on Thomas Frank. So there's like a sort of kind of strange kind of unloving going on around there. And we'll talk about that. Giving them the, the ultimate respect as well because, you know, Ayu, obviously top player for you. You know, and he's one player we know we've got to watch. He's like, you know, as we call him, he's a premium striker. He's a player who can score a goal out of nothing. You know what I'm saying? You know, he, he is a good player, you know, regardless of whether or not he keeps on falling over or not. He is yeah. a good player. Like, you know what I'm saying? But And give him a sniff and he will score. I mean, the thing is, again, and if you listen to our podcast earlier, we've got Will the Spreadsheet Winker on and he talks about all sorts of stats for all the teams and what's been going on because that's his little area. And the fact is that we know that Swansea... They don't create, as they call it, a lot of high-quality chances, you know. Some people hate the XG thing, but I think it's a really great measure of kind of what teams are doing and how they're doing it. And some teams are good at certain things, some teams are good at other th- other things. And Swansea don't create a necessarily a high number of, of good-quality chances, but what they are good at is that when they do get the chances, they put them in the back of the net, you know. And that is just, yeah. you know, that is a sign of a team with strikers that just go bang. There you go, so you can't give them a sniff. And also, defensively, you've been very tight. I mean, I know towards the back end of the season, you kind of tailed off a little bit. But in general, defensively, you're tight. So you're thinking if you're not letting in goals and then you're just scoring the one or the two chances that you get, that's how you're getting your results. And that's probably also the reason why you're saying that you haven't won by one or two goals. More than one or two goals this season, right, you know. But Ayu is obviously key. Okay, loads and other players key, and you've got a few other key players for you as well. I mean, just tell me what is it about him um, that is good, and but also, you know, what frustrates you? Yeah, so he definitely has got stuff that frustrates us. I'll start with the good. Um, like you said, he's a match winner. He turns up for big games. He scored against you last season in the playoffs, if I remember correctly, and missed a penalty in the same game. Um, he he can just get the ball and all of a sudden he's created a chance for himself and put it in the back of the net because he's got the quality to do that. Um, I personally feel like he's better when he's at wide because he draws people to him. So if you're drawing people to you on the wing, you're creating the space then in the middle for others and that just allows us to just create more, get other people involved instead of just relying on him to make something. He can still be making us something but playing a couple of one-twos and then making things happen whereas if he's up up front I feel like sometimes he gets a bit isolated uh, he's easier to mark he's easier to double up on when you're putting him in the middle so for me he's better on the wing um, 
but yeah, just moments of magic. He's, he's just got that ability to change the match, to be a match winner, turn up in big games. However, there is some things that do frustrate me and others, other, other fans. He's got a tendency sometimes to keep hold of the ball a little bit too long. So you'll go on a bit of a dribble, and then you're like, you're seeing these other players making runs, and you're just like, right, give the ball, give it, give it, give it. And you'll just take another touch, another touch, another touch, and then the defenders come really close to him, tight, tight to him. Then another one's come in, and he's, he's at the turn and backtrack a little bit, and the chance is gone. He plays the ball, and it's gone backwards. He does that sometimes. Um, you know why he does it? It's because he wants to go and make a difference. He thinks he can get past. He thinks he can go and make a chance. Sometimes it doesn't always work. So maybe decision making there is like not always the best of what you want. But you know, if he was a perfect player, he wouldn't be still. He wouldn't be with us in the championship right now. He'd be. He would have been snapped up even at his age. We're lucky to still have him. Don't get me wrong. But there is there is weaknesses there, which maybe I shouldn't be shouting about it on a Brentford podcast. But uh, yeah, definitely something to look out for. Yeah, I mean, listen. All players have got weaknesses, like you know. So yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you know, it's just it's one of those things, and we know it now. Ivan Tony's got weaknesses, like you know, Pontus Jansen's got weaknesses. I think everyone kind of knows what it, what it is as well when they see it on the TV. But it's just interesting to kind of hear it from from your point of view as well. But I mean, what other players should we be looking out for Swansea? Um, so Jay Fulton is one I think that goes under the radar quite a bit. Okay, so he doesn't necessarily get all the talk of some of these other players like Andre Ayew, um, Gihi's getting a lot, he had both man of the matches in our semi-finals so he's getting a lot of talk for defence, Woodman you know, being the keeper, if you make a good save you're always in the headlines, uh, Horahan he's got a strike on him, that again gets the headlines, but Jay Felton in the middle he's a bit of a sort of dogged midfielder so at the same time though he's, he's got a bit of flair about him so he can put himself about he asserts his presence in the middle and sometimes when you need somebody to just put a big tackle in to say, do you know what, I am you. You can't like just get around us that easy. I'll put a tackle in. He will do it and he will make his presence known in a fair way. Uh, and that also obviously if the crowd is in, in, the, in the stadium, which there will be for this game, uh, that will you know, get the crowd going a little bit. Just that sort of uh, tenacious, sort of like dogged approach, like I said. But, but again, at the same time, he's doing a lot of the dirty works behind the scenes that doesn't get appreciated so much so he's he's always getting the interceptions in he's always making tackles and and having a few aerial duels when he's coming up on top things like that in the middle of the pitch where goes unnoticed but is very important for what we are doing and going forward as well he can he can link up well he can play some nice one-touch passing and some nice flair he did score a goal earlier this season with a sort of like back heel flick like over the top of something against Stoke I think it was which was which was a nice goal to watch so he's got that in him as well um so yeah, he's definitely one to watch that maybe people don't talk about quite as much as some of our other players. I mean, you've obviously seen Brentford quite a bit. I mean, you know, the thing is that with uh, the games and the pandemic and us being at home, you know, all the games are on TV. So you sort of see the other opposition teams a lot more than you probably would have done. So I'm just wondering, Brentford, I mean, who are you worried about? I mean, everyone knows about Ivan Tony as well, but I'm just wondering, is there anybody else there that you just thought, hold on a second, this might worry me a little bit? Jan Janel, does it? Is that how you say his name? Janel. Janel, yeah, the I man like machine, mate. 
he's had a very good season in the midfield. Uh, I, when did, did you sign him this season? Was it, is it this season he's come in? Tell you, we start, but basically what's happened is that Norgard got injured fairly early on in the season, which basically scuppered a load of our plans. And we were just like, oh no, because Norgard is such a key player. We, want, we, we were going to build around him pretty much. And so yeah. we faffed around. Well, that's not fair enough, but we don't say faffed around. We just carried on sort of playing and putting the players here and there and moving them around, trying to see how we're going to compensate for not having Norgard as such. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, this Yenelt turned up in, I think it was just early October. We signed him, I think, just as the window has just closed. And we were like, who's he? We signed him for uh, from Germany for 500 quid, you know. Um, or as you say, he only cost 50, he only cost 10p. He came from Germany, he only cost 10p. <laughs> and uh, we signed him and, you know, took him maybe a couple of games into it. But then all of a sudden, he just was, he just does what it says on the tin. He is a hard-working, hard-tackling, hard-chasing-down central midfielder, and he's brilliant, and the fans absolutely love him. He's the kind of player that when you're in the sort of first and second division, you'd love to have a player like that in your side who you just got stuck in. Yeah. And it's uh, we've been crying out for a player like that for ages, and all of a sudden he's turned up, and I think the, the dilemma for us was like, what's going to happen when Norgard comes back? Because, you know, Norgard's such a classy CDM. What's going to happen? So we've had to try and see how we can sort of fit the two into the into, into the team, which sometimes it kind of works, and it, it's worked as we flipped to three at the back when Norgard slipped into the back of the three. And so we're like, hey, OK, this is how we could do it. But there is definitely you know, a little bit of compensation to try and get the both of them in the team. And interestingly, on Saturday, when he played Bournemouth, Norgard got injured in the warm-up which meant that he came out and then Yenelt meant that he was kind of there in the, you know, central of defence, even though, you know, in, 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 in the pitch. So he was kind of there on his own. So for me, you know, and, and obviously everyone remembers Yenelt and his contribution to that yeah. game. So uh, I'm not knocking Norgard. I think he's an absolutely brilliant player. But yeah, you, you, you've pointed him out. But yes, Yenelt, he, he, he scares you, does he? I just think, like, I didn't know about him before and obviously like, it makes sense when he came in on October and I just feel like he's such a key part of your team now, especially in the middle, that he's someone that, like, our midfield needs to get on top of, um, like, Mac Ryans and Jay Felton and Horahan. They're going to have a tough job against, He's, you know, it, it's going to be a good battle. It's for one I feel like we need to be winning that if we want to stop your style of play, your, your sort of attacking threat. Um, if we can get to him, stop him playing his game, that's going to help us. I think that's an important battle for us. And then I'm looking at maybe Mark Condes as well, who I feel like has he been in and out of your team quite a lot? Not necessarily a key starter, but it seems like he's playing well at the moment. And I know, uh, cliche as it is, but from my, I play football manager a lot and he's been around a little bit, but um, he's definitely a threat. He's, he's got he's got a bit about him in terms of his attack and threat. So, like, I don't want to say Tony, because like you said, he's, is the obvious one. You've got a third, you've got a striker there, so he's, he's clearly going to be a threat. But someone like Mark Hondes, if he can give it to Tony, like that's what we want to be stopping. Stop the supply, essentially, because you know you've got a striker that's going to finish the chances there. Now, listen, I've got to ask a question, right? Yeah. And like I said to you, the elephant in the room, this four rivalry between Brentford oh, and yeah. Swansea, where did, where did it come from? Um, I think it does, it's come from the playoffs, isn't it, last season? That's where it's, it's come from. Uh, I think there's a bit of a feisty home leg for us a um, couple of incidents you got the red card you know we had a penalty Thomas Frank and Connor Roberts had a bit of an altercation on the touchline I think that might be one of the key moments uh, that riled everyone up a little bit and then for Swansea fans why they got so frustrated 
was Thomas Frank's press conference at the end. And look, to be fair to you, what he said, he went on and won the second match. But it's just the way that he was like, do you know what? We're going to Wembley. I, I, I know we're going to win. Like The stats are saying we battered them, this, that, the other. We're going to do it. I'm not worried. All the stuff that he said, like for a Swansea fan to hear that, they're just like, who does he think he is? We're going in with a one like a cocky he is, all this, that, the other. And I guess he done his job because at the end of the day, he wound everyone up and they ended up getting the results. So good mind games at work, you could argue. Um, but I think that's where it comes from. And, you know, the games this season... I think as well, what's made it worse is the fact that we've been kind of neck and neck all year in terms of the league. And I don't know if I've mentioned to you the other day, but my, my one of my other guys on Swans Cast, Lee, been saying since like February, March, he was like, I tell you now, it's going to be the playoff final. It's going to be Swans Brentford because of all this that's happened and all this, like, all of a sudden rivalry that's come from nothing. It's going to be a playoff final and it's going to be like the ultimate showdown, if you like, about who's going to have the last laugh, I guess. Because because you're not going to be in the same season next year, either way about it. So somebody's having the last laugh. Uh, I guess it's kind of going to be the end of this mini story, at least for now. Yeah, no, it is because I mean, again, for me, definitely it started. Uh, it might have started even a little bit before that. You know, it might have the FA Cup, but you, you smashed James us in the goal. FA Cup. Yeah, Dan James, that was a brilliant goal. You know, I was there. We travelled down. It's a nightmare. Sunday afternoon match at two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, couldn't get any trains, so we had to just get there whichever way we could do. So that wasn't the most pleasurable of journeys as well. So you had that FA Cup game, and then after that, <clears throat> played you a couple of times in the league, I think. Then, and then we got you in the playoffs last season. Uh, it was the sending off by um, sending off of Rico Henry, which really did it for us. I remember we were in the yeah. Globe in the pub there, and then we got sent off, and there was no way it was a sending off. You know what I'm saying? But of course, you had the situation where it, you know, referee, okay, you could get it wrong, but you could turn around and say, well, you know, the referee didn't get it. You know, he might have got it wrong, but at the end of the day, that's the referee, or you know, you can actually be honest about it. But that all kicked off. Um, we got angry about that. And uh, and then I think in the press conference at the same time, Steve Cooper at the end he was really ungracious. I just uh, yeah. just really ungracious. Um, so that didn't really help. We talked about the red card. He kind of just sort of like instead of sort of saying, "Well, I didn't see it," or "I'm not sure," it's up to the referee. He just kind of said something I don't know, ridiculous, just kind of endorsing it or just saying what you're talking about. You're absolutely nonsense. Of course it was. Then it got rescinded, so everyone felt vindicated. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, we felt vindicated. We actually did, um, I mean, we didn't do it, but we actually did a video where we basically just filmed a load of fans behind the scenes and we actually sent it over to the Brentford team as a sort of G-up for that second game. It's never been publicly aired as well, actually, you know, so I've done it, put the music behind it, got like, you know, it was probably about four or five minutes long, sent it to the team and apparently they sort of showed it in the dressing room before the game about all these fans going, come on, we'll do it and we showed like, the red card and we showed sort of, like, Steve Cooper and we just sort of talked about what load of nonsense it was. And it well, actually... that explains the good start, doesn't it? That explains all that, them goals at the start of the second leg. <laughs> taking notes so not saying it's all about what we've done but you know like I said to you like, like on Saturday we do anything we can do to create a little bit of an advantage and with Thomas, Thomas Frank going whipping up the crowd on Saturday yeah. the players whipping up the crowd you know those kind of things are the things as a, as a inverted commas small club are the things that we do so we did that and we were lucky enough to get the access to get that to the players and, 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 and it seemed to have worked but you know the, the rivalry was 
kind of it was huge at that stage and the, the social media was just kicking off and you know it was it was a really strange situation and also the other thing is that there was a lot of you kept on i've got to say you kept on diving a lot falling over you know you did all this sort of kind of cynical tricks in the book which a lot of people say well that's just what football's all about so i think in the environment and in the heat it didn't go down particularly well so i think the bees fans <laughs> in regards to that look, it's not necessarily what i like to see and some of the players do it i would say you've mentioned are you he does Connor Roberts is probably another one that does it quite bad. Um, we kind of, all our time in the Premier League, we're kind of always on the receiving end of it. And I think it got to the point where maybe it was like, join them because it's just always doing you over. And I didn't like to see it. And that's not necessarily the solution, but maybe that asks a bigger question about other things, which I'm sure we won't get into now. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't always like to see it. You like it when it maybe benefits you in it, but. I got to be honest and say I don't like it when it's against me. So I'd be happy to, you know, I wouldn't call for us to do it. That's right. And I think this season as well, there was a bit of that going on, and I think the referees kind of weren't hundred percent wise to it. So, uh, and I think that was kind of winding up us and quite a lot of other supporters yeah. up. And then I think I think you had a couple of situations where I think either I don't whether the referees were told by the head referee or something like that but you got they got a little bit wise to it and I think maybe some decisions that might have or should have gone your way probably didn't start going your way because of what had happened before and I yeah. think it it started know, to even itself out a little bit to, but I want to say <laughs> can I just put this point out there because we have had a lot of stick for this this whole penalties thing and we've only had five penalties this season we're not even like we're like halfway on the table what happened was, there was four games in a row where we had last-minute penalties or something silly like that. I would say two of them were dodgy, and two of them, I would say, were penalties, okay? So, yeah, they were dodgy. I don't, not necessarily, I think the only one necessarily that was, maybe you'd argue was a dive, was the Kyle Norton one against Stoke. Um, but, I don't know, I feel like he's gone down easy, whether it's dive or not, that's up to whatever. Um the others, like, the refs made a decision after contact. Not saying they were all penalties or not, but I don't think they were all blatant dives. But what I'm trying to say is, we haven't been going out looking for them. We've only had five, and before that point in the season, and this was in February, end of February, March, we only had one penalty the entire year before that. So I'm just saying, we're not all diving for penalties, and that couple of games kind of got us a reputation. But um, it's not only penalties as well. This is the thing where you don't get it right. It's, it's all over the pitch, you see. Yeah. And also, it's getting the free kicks wherever you can get the free kicks. Some people might say that's just good tactics, but it's kind of like going down. You know how to go down, when to go yeah. down. But just going down, you know, almost like Bergovic style, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, which he did on Saturday for Bournemouth. It's like, hold on a second, he's just fallen over there, you know. So all of a sudden, like, you get a free kick outside the area, that could be as dangerous as a penalty, especially yeah. with your strikers that you've got like you know yeah, so that's, no, I, I think that's the kind of thing I agree some of the players do it I like yeah like Conor Robbins and Dreyar are probably the worst for doing it I think um, but yeah after that I just wanted to say after the penalty stuff we had a lot of stick that's all but look it does maybe need to cut out a little bit I would agree with you on that but uh, hopefully hopefully it won't be tarnishing the final on uh, on Saturday there's a Saturday got a really 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 big game I'm going to ask you a really simple question how confident are you of winning I, I, I don't think I can be confident I think it's like it's a game that anything can happen and it would be foolish to go into it thinking 
thinking that we you know we're gonna you know we're gonna win confidently i think like you've got to take what comes and i don't want to set myself up to be like really disappointed at the end so i think we've done well to get where where we are i think we can give it a good go and i just want to see the best performance that we can give because you know we have it's no word of a lie we've struggled against brentford in the last two seasons um since thomas frank's taken over i think your style of play is you know, it's really good and you're doing well as a result of it and you're a hard team to play against. So it's going to be a tough game. We've got to back ourselves, but I just want to come up with it with as much credit as we can. You know, I want to make sure we make it a good final and hopefully we're the winners at the end of it. But I can't say I'm confident going in because, you know, you've got Ivan Tony scoring 30 goals this season and I think, you, I think you'd be foolish to go in and say and you're confident you're going to win that game. And I'm sure Bournemouth fans would have felt the same over two legs. I'm sure you're probably feeling more confident than me, I think, especially after the second game when we played in Liberty Stadium. Um, but I would say your favourites. I'm going to say that. What I'll say to you is that you, there's one fan that's lost nine out of nine players so far, so the word confident will never actually ring in my head for any <laughs> particular amount of time. But look, I'm going to ask you, Luke, finally, give us a score prediction. Oh, my God, that's a hard one, isn't it? That's hard. I think it's going to be tight because... I can't see us scoring many goals. I would be surprised to see us, you know, go down to... I Like, by the end of the final scoreline, I don't think it would be a comfortable win. You know, I'd be disappointed, and I don't think that we will allow that to happen, especially with how solid we've been at the back all season. So I'm going to say tight game. I'm actually going to say it's going to maybe go to extra time. So I'm going to say maybe like one or full time, and then... Oh, I don't know what I predicted in our video that you guys were going to win, so I'm going to say you'll you'll get an extra time winner goal and you'll win two one on extra time is what I'm going to go for, which maybe is not what all the Swans fans that might be listening want to hear, but I'm just being realistic. I think uh, you're going in as favourites. You've got on paper, I would say, attacking wise especially, a better squad. So I think you'll just have a little bit too much attacking threat, um, but we'll see. Hopefully, I'm wrong. Oh, there you go. Luke is trying some Thomas Frank psychology on us there now, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so listen, anyway, listen, Luke, it's been really great talking to you. So listen, I, I, it's a shame I'm not going to catch up with you Saturday before the game. I'm going to catch up with a few other Swansea fans for a few beers and everything like that, which will be all good. But unfortunately, like I said to you, you're going to be back at home with yeah. your posse watching it in front of the box. So listen, enjoy yourselves on Saturday. Don't enjoy yourselves too much is what I'll say. Well. And maybe we'll touch base after the game. Yeah, I'm sure. I look forward to discussing the outcome. Hopefully positive for us, but yeah, look forward nonetheless. Nice one, Luke. But thanks for having me on. Cheers, mate. Thanks for coming on. So that was Luke from Swanscast, and he is not overly confident, but he's confident in his team, if that makes sense. So he's not going out there giving it the large, going, yeah, we're going to do this, and we're going to do you. But he knows what his team can do, and I suppose he's just sitting back and, and hoping that they can pull it out the bag. But I'm just I'm just wondering, because obviously, you know, you said about how nervous you are about Swans, Laney. Are you feeling any more confident after listening to Luke? Yeah, a little. Yeah, he's... He, he, I mean, well played, Luke. To be honest, is you know it wasn't full of banter, was it? And kind of bravado. It was kind of like a very kind of open and honest assessment of his team. And uh, you kind of you, you, you can get his kind of intelligence and uh, how um, he studies studies the team. So you take you take the opinions of people like that so much more 
seriously. Um, someone that's driver just going to show you, oh, we're going to do you, we're going to do you. Um, so, yeah, the, the thing that scared me a little bit was the fact that the realisation, looking at the, the, t- the head-to-head between the two teams and how there is beef between Cooper and Frank and, you know, the last few seasons have had sort of like some incident field matches where, you know, team, both sides will feel like a little hard done by at times, but... What he said was, one of us is going to have the last laugh. And I kind of went, oh, bloody hell. Yeah, one of us is, isn't it? And one of us is going to be in a different division to the other one next season. So it is it is going to be settled, this kind of, like, fake rivalry. Um, and, you know... Uh, I just hope you know. That's why we, that's why I'm really glad over the last few weeks we've not been going crazy. You know, we've we've been doing it in the same dignified way as the team have really. Just sort of just seeing seeing what what happens with our own eyes and then talking about it afterwards rather than making big claims before. But yeah, one of us is going to have the last laugh if you want to put it that way. Um, and I just hope, my God, I hope it's us. Yeah, listen, I'm going to ask you, I mean, talk about that four rivalry, the fake rivalry, is it us? And, and we were trying to work out where it came from. And he said, you know, it was from the playoff final um, or semi-final last year. Was that where it was? Because like? it just kind of sort of kind of, it sort of built up, I think, maybe even through, during the season. And then it just basically in this playoff semi-final, it just all kicked off left, right and centre. And was it to do with that Rico sending off? Can you remember? I think that was a big part of it. Yeah. And and and, and Cooper being so, um, so ballsy afterwards that it was, it was, a, it was a red when it was rescinded and it so wasn't a red. You know, it was just that, it's just that kind of barefaced, like ignore what's happened. Right. I mean, it literally happened right in front of him. And the same with Jonathan Woodgate on on Saturday, you know, going back and saying things that just clearly aren't true. You know, Woodgate said the ball came off off the defender's thigh and and hit him hit his arms. It didn't go anywhere near his bloody leg. You know what I mean? It's like if you're gonna, you know, after you've said something that's a complete lie, everything else that follows it should be completely and utterly irrelevant. You know, the fact you can't take the soundbite, the second part of a sentence, and make that make that what he really meant. It's just that the the whole, uh, the whole, um, the seeing the incident and then coming to a conclusion that is completely flipped on reality is something that you know that's what Cooper did, um, and then you know Rico shouldn't have been sent off, um, and then there was obviously words that uh, they they weren't happy about with Thomas Frank as he as he explained about you know him being confident they would spin the tire in in the second in the second leg, you know, and some people see that as as him being flash or brash or um, being full of himself if anyone knows Thomas Frank he really isn't like that he's just he's just honest and that's the way he sees it every now and again he edges that way I guess when he gets angry but you know come on you know every single manager ever is, is uh, that's, that's some of the biggest characters in the game which is full of that so uh, you know if our manager does it now and again Blimey, you know, it's, it's, hardly, it's hardly a war crime, is it? No, no and, and we should know that as well because we've, we've, we've been in the pub with him and we, and we say this quite a lot. I mean, he literally, we, he asked us to go down the pub with us and come on the podcast and we were like, well, OK then. Sat down there for three hours, he, you know, he had a bit of food, sat down there, he had a bit of drink and he told us everything and he didn't hide anything as well and he just told us straight up. Um, his passion for football was uh, unbelievable all he wanted to do is talk about football and his love for football and he was really honest with us and, and, and in a way actually we thought God, too honest like you know you know should we cut anything out and, the, and the, but the thing about it is that 
it's just very Danish and that's what Danish people are like they're just very open and they just say what they think and that's kind of what he did but also they're just talking about the Swansea bench how they're always up in the face always up in the face of the of the of the referee trying to get decisions shouting you know um, a lot of them talking about you know how and we talked about this with Luke as well how the Swansea players seem to go down a lot easier than they can do is what they're very clever very cynical probably different to Borough when we played them in the playoffs years ago where they just knew how to get the fouls and how to get them right and it was a little bit annoying at the time but Swansea are a little bit more obvious about it and they seem to be able to fool the referees as well but always in their faces they said they've got a very loud bench nothing wrong with having a loud bench and an enthusiastic bench but it's always kind of like you know in the referee's face the whole time so that's kind of actually you know made quite a few people a little bit like not happy with the way that they go about their business if you compare it to you know uh, Warren at Rotherham or, or different other managers are out there and listen I know everyone has got their own style and everything like that but that's going to be an interesting thing isn't it Laney? Yeah yeah some of these clubs don't like it up them as, as they used to say you know it's alright they don't mind it when, when they're the ones doing it but when it's flipped when, someone, and, uh, when they're beaten at their own game or when someone else is in the referee's face when it's them normally doing it or when someone else is like diving when, when it's, it's them they always remember and they're always there waiting to, to show to shove you know your your example in your face rather than the million times that they've done it and they, they, they kind of celebrate it so so, yeah, they, some, sometimes it's, it's, it's good to play teams at their own game. And if that's what we have to do uh, on Saturday, then, then so be it. I mean, I think it's win by any means necessary, I think, uh, at Wembley at the weekend. And uh, if, it, if it gets nasty and if it gets shithousey, then, then so be it. You know, we're, we're capable of that ourselves as well. Um, you know, you, you can't be an experienced team unless you've got that in your locker. Um, we were we were accused of being a bit naive and a bit pretty in in the past. So uh, you know, if the, if the teams want to go toe to toe and get feisty, as it did against Bournemouth once or twice, then hey, you know if that, that's the way it's got to be. That's the way it's got to be. You know, we're not going to be um, overawed by anyone anymore. Um, we're in a game of football. We'll go toe to toe with the best, um, and if they want to mix it up, we mix it up as well. So, so do you suggest that we go Bergovic style with the way that we go about our shit harrowsery laney? Absolutely not. I never want to see us try and do that as a as a game plan. But you know, if if they're falling over all over the place when they get near the penalty area, you know, then then if you get you, if someone goes in tough, then then you've got to do the same. I just I just think you know that's that's not the way you want to see football played. And, and I, I hopefully it will be just a really good open attacking game between two teams that can that can play on their day. So, you know, if, if that's, you know, that's always going to be the, the desired route. Um, but, you know, if, if they want to start putting late tackles in, if they want to start leaving the elbow in, going for, for high balls, if they want to start, you know, taking tumbles, then, you know, they, they, can't, they can't be hypocrites and, 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 and condemn us for, for doing the same if, we, if, if, if that's the way it needs to be. We've got a big game on Saturday. We had a big game last Saturday and we've got another lot of the besotted crew who have been partying in another party room just down the corridor here since last Saturday, the Cheese Room. we better go and have a knock them up to see exactly what they've got to say about, well, last Saturday's game, but also this massive game against Swansea on Saturday. So let's go and have a little listen to what they've got to say. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. 
Oh, come on, hold on. This is trying to get a bit of a joke now. Hold on a second. What's going on here? Hold on a minute. Listen, you're not taking this seriously at all. Just like the other lot. You've got one party in one room, another party on the other room. You've been up all night, up all week since Saturday, celebrating that Bournemouth match. Listen, guys, we've got a game on Saturday. Don't you realise? Can't you take this a little bit more seriously? Like this, we, we, We've got to show the Brentford team how we need to act, isn't it? No. It's all different this year, Billy. We're all under control. It's a part of a master plan. And we're doing everything absolutely right all the way through it. Yeah, well, I'll, listen, the Dutchman, I'm glad that you've got things in control. Because, listen, you seem very happy. So we're going to talk about what happened last weekend. Listen, I'm still, I'm still buzzing after Saturday. But I'm just wondering, I mean, listen, you guys, you know, you were there watching the game various places as well and it was very very different to last year I mean listen the, the Dutchman what was the difference for you uh, the difference was Billy I was there I think was the main bit um, but I think we just approached it in a way that showed we had experience from last year I think you, you could tell that and I worryingly didn't feel too panicky at any point in the game um, so I think we're calmer we're quietly confident rather than sort of absurdly confident but I thought the difference on Saturday was was the crowd you know 100% the fact that, that from a personal view that I was there but the fact that there were 4,000 others there um, it was quite an amazing experience for me I, I it was a really special day uh, in, in, in the bees memory book um, but hopefully only the second best memory that we're going to have this year it's interesting because you said that you were not worried by any time or at any time at all even when we went even when we went 1-0 down, yeah. I, I'm lying. Um, I wasn't worried after we scored the first goal. Um, yeah, of course, after the first one was a bit of a shock. It was such a... But I think we spent most of the time analysing what the hell had happened rather than even thinking about the fact we were two goals down um, and luckily got back into it quite quickly. Um, but certainly, I think the players showed a calmness that, that rubbed off on the fans as well. I don't think there was any sign of panic at any point during that game, um, even after the first goal. Um, you know, we knew the goals were coming. We knew if we kept going, we were going to score the goal either in uh, either in 90 minutes or in in extra time. And I, I thought that combo of fans and players was was perfect on Saturday. And, and, and interesting. I mean, the Allard. I mean, there's there's a lot of talk like last season of that being the best Brentford team ever. You know, you know, we had some great players there. And you know, the reality is, and listen, not taking anything away from Fulham, that we we should have got up last season. We've come this season and, OK, listen, it's not over yet by any means. But to me, what, what do you see the difference between last season and this season? Just looking at, because we played Swansea last season with, you know, well, Brentford played Swansea, different team, slightly. Uh, what, what are you thinking, the Lott? I just think this season, um, I think they can grind it out a bit more this season. And I, I, I think last season, you know, it was our day or it wasn't our day. I think this season we can sometimes not be the best team I know we've have had a stodgy spell but sometimes not be the best team and still pull it out I, I, I was strangely confident as well um, on Saturday it was I mean when Bournemouth scored obviously I was like oh but even Bournemouth's body language after they scored it almost it was almost as if that disrupted their plans in a weird way them scoring and then you know once we had the penalty um, and, and scored that it just seemed that Bournemouth looked almost beaten already and they were certainly beaten when they went down to 10 men. And then it was just a question of, of when we actually did it, um, where, you know, when we scored the goals that put us through. And that was kind of you know, where I was. I thought, I thought this is easily 
going to be winnable. Um, I thought we made a bit of a meal of it in some respects, but you know, but, but we but we nailed it. Is it, um, it's just, you talk about, you know, you thought that they were beatable pretty much after five minutes, even though they'd gone ahead. I mean, Woodgate, we've talked about him quite a lot on the podcast before, and I know you don't massively rate him as a manager. Do you think that he kind of uh, showed his true colours on Saturday? I'm not, I'm not sure if it was Woodgate's colours or who's, who's talking in his ear. Um, he's got, hasn't he got Joe Jordan there? And, um, and, and there's also talk of Redknapp, Barry Redknapp being around. Um, I, 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 I don't even know if that was Woodgate's true colours because it, it, it just seemed odd to me that they just sat back and tried to you know, protect what they had. Um, and, and maybe when you've got a two-goal advantage, that kind of makes sense. But I thought I didn't think they had any rhythm at all. And it was a very sort of dour, down performance from them. And I thought the body language was pretty bad, almost as if they didn't believe in what they were trying to do. Jimmy, I mean, this this game, Saturday, great day out. I mean, you had a great day out. Last year, you spent a lot of time in the pub for the playoffs. This time, you spent time between the pub. But also, like I said to you, you were in the ground. I mean, just talk to us about, you know, your day, your experiences, just just, just what you thought and, and even compare it to last year. Yeah, last year, I, you know, all we had at that time really was that, that football running. And I got so invested in it, like really more than I should have pub every game, watching every moment, you know, really enjoying it and then up for the big failure, right? And um I sort of thought I'm not I'm not gonna allow this this year. I can't I can't give it as much. And then when Saturday came along, um, you know, nice and early start so you can try and enjoy a bit of the build up. I thought I was convinced the first team who scores is gonna go through. I was, you know, set on that all week. We score first, we go through, we concede first, we're out, that's over. And then getting into the ground Honestly, and this is going to sound mega dramatic, but it feels almost like it's a dream of surreal because after all this time away, the, the, just the joy around the place, you know, there's the smiles, the togetherness, seeing all these faces we hadn't seen in a while. It was one of my mate's birthdays, he was 50 as well, right? So we had a bit of a party going on there. When you walk in and just the noise hit me and Thomas Frank running around the pitch was almost a bit surreal as well. It's, it's just, he's charmingly weird, Thomas Frank. And him running around sort of pointing at people and this kind of crouched elf sort of run was funny and it was just like a surreal moment and then then the game starts and I'm still sort of like looking around trying to take it all in kind of almost high in the moment genuinely and I wasn't really high I was a bit drunk but almost high in the moment and then we go one nil down and I'm still kind of laughing I still think this, this is just a what's going on and um yeah as soon as you know, very quickly equaliser goes in it starts going the other way it just it just never looked like we were going to throw it, throw it from that point. Everything changed. The whole momentum around the place. I thought the tone from everybody was spot on. Even the weird run from Thomas Frank was excellent. I thought the fans were all there. It was just, you know, it would go down as one of the great, great days. I think the circumstances around it, the whole thing was just, it was an amazing day out. And, and this is the first time right now that I've actually felt a pang of nerves for Saturday. So, so I haven't let it in. I've been savouring and also nursing a two-day hangover, but savouring it. The, uh, the moment I just loved it I, I loved it <laughs> uh, listen Will I know you've watched the game on the box you know back in your, your student hovel as it is now no, your student home as it is and um, I, I actually watched the game back a couple of days later 
Um, I sat down with my daughter and over two days we watched one half one day the second half the other day and I'll tell you something I loved it if anyone hasn't watched a game back trust me watch it back especially if you were there because there's so many things that you missed that you didn't know about as well and like I said to you I had no idea about the Thomas Frank watch incident which obviously really really wound up all the Bournemouth fans it's just brilliant like you know so he's like tapping his watch the whole time because obviously they're time wasting now it's interesting to see what he's going through the Bournemouth fans are moaning at him for tapping his watch the whole time and he just kept on doing it particularly through the first half but even a little bit through the second half whereas we didn't see that but we were kind of booing all the time Bergovic all the time wasting they were doing from the fourth or the fifth minute so I'm not being funny is that he wasn't making it up this was something that was happening uh, Bournemouth were definitely in that kind of game of like all right let's see if we can disrupt this game as much as possible which they actually got caught out on but you know from your view to watching it at home how did that sort of map out? Yeah, I think that yeah, that, that they made a lot of the whole the whole watch tapping thing, but it was it was brilliant because from from my point of view, that's that's Thomas playing to the crowd being there. You know, he's he's geeing the fans up in the stadium and, and and getting getting them going, which is fantastic, and obviously also making a point to the the referee. And you know, did actually end up adding on all of that added time, but the the, the way you you could just tell from from seeing all the different camera angles of the body language of the Bournemouth players, that they were there to protect a 1-0 lead and that was it. If it was Bees and we were 1-0 up, there's absolutely no way we would have played in that way. Uh, you know, if, if we were trying to protect a 1-0 lead, we, we don't protect leads like that. And that's, that, that, that's, that, that shows the kind of difference in, 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 the, in, in the methodology of the teams, right? You've got Bournemouth who are trying to be negative and, and protect a lead and that. And, and, and when we were chasing in, in, in that game, that just played directly into our hands. You know, we were able to play with, play with this freedom. It was absolutely fantastic. Not so sure about the commentary. I'm, I'm, I have to have a few words with Don Goodman if I ever see him. I think I'm, he's rather unkind to, to Bradford sometimes but yeah it was, uh, it was it was it was a great watch uh, apart from yeah as we said the first sort of 15 minutes or so before we scored <laughs> so, and, Matt, and also I mean I'm going around as well just asking you because obviously it's, it's a whole day's experience as well but what was like your well just give us one really memorable moment for the day could it be you know pre-match post-match it could be during the match on the pitch off, off the terrace what for you do you really remember I, I, I think it was the, um, to, to be honest, the bit I remember was the four sad blokes on Q Green having a beer at 9.30 in the morning um, because, because there was no pub that was, um, that was open at that point and the only pub that was open wasn't going to serve us beer to 11 so we could, we could go in for um, breakfast um, and um, yeah, so we just we, we got some IPAs and we, we sat on a bench and it started to drizzle with rain and we just sat there and we, and we had, a, and had a beer each. And that must have looked a bit odd to some people. <laughs> That's right. I was the fourth one there. It looked very odd. That's for sure. When I rocked up, if you didn't know why they were there, you would worry. Um, I think, yeah, for, for me, there was a lot about the build-up and meeting mates and coming from a new angle, actually, you know, coming down queue and thinking about what that's going to be when we you know, get in the ground proper and perhaps new venues or occasional new venues, which was good. I think there was lots of highlights for the game. I still think... Um, which I spotted at the time, and looks even better on the video, as you know, Canos sort of slow limping off the pitch when he's injured with his pretend injury, and then when we scored a couple of minutes later, sprinting down the touchline at full pelt in his kit still, you know, no jacket, no no jumper for Sergi, just running the length of the pitch and jumping on top of all the players he'd scored, and then running back to his bench. I thought that was that was proper Sergi, proper proper team spirit. I thought that was good. Jimmy Mack. 
Uh, I mean, so much, uh, you know, before I mentioned before, was a really joyous day on many levels. But I think I think what was really timely for me was that I, I live quite close to Griffin Park and I've been kind of pining after it a bit the last couple of weeks because I really hate to see it get knocked down the way it has, right? It's always going to come, but it's been horrible walking past it and then all of a sudden one stand's gone, another one's gone. And it, uh, I guess, and this it's, it's, it's feels, it sounds almost prophetic, but, you know, Get, it's like he's lost something quite quite big there, right? So we lie for his memories and getting into that ground. And you know, when when I went to the Blackburn game in October, it was, it was a weird time. You know, you were there, but it was the rules of engagement were a bit strange, and everyone was worried about you know infecting everyone. But we got into that new ground, and it felt like home, and it was noisy, and it felt like oh, you know what, I'm going to get on, I'm going to get on with this place. And I, I, I was really hoping we'd have that feeling where we thought, you know what, I, I like it here, and. That's what we came away with. Everybody, I mean, the result helped, right? But everyone came away for this is this is a really good gaff, and that's kind of helped me make a bit of peace with the uh, the sad news of Griffin Park. And we thought, you know what, we can we can move forward in this place, and I can't wait to see it fall next year. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and you're right as well. I mean, the thing about it is that I mean, I think all of us we went to at least one game before the Christmas. You know, we went to the you know the Blackburn game or the Derby game, and you got a vibe for our new Griffin Park, as we call it. Is light, but the one thing, like I said to you, that struck me because when I went there before, and there's two thousand fans, and you're in a stand, and you didn't really have your mates with you, but so you were trying to get the songs going, but you're on your own. This one, at least, you're in a group all together. So if you started singing, everyone started singing together. But the one thing that really did get me is the acoustics of the place. I mean, it's it's fairly, I say easy. It's probably it's fair to say the word easy, but it's fairly easy to sort of kind of whip a bit of a frenzy going to whip, to actually get some sort of kind of noise going in that place. And you can imagine, you know, everyone sort of said, you know, 4,000, if you had 17,000 in the house, that place is going to be really rocking. But you can imagine, even if there's 8,000 people in that place, you know, and you've got people mobbed up, you know, behind the goals, that, that place could be really loud, couldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, uh, the, the roof is, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it really deeply covers where the fans are. It's not, it didn't feel as deep, the terrace, as it looks when you're there. So, you know, quite easy to maybe get a song going, you know, and, and spread across. Um, so, yeah, it's got a lot going for it. It's, it's better than I thought it would be, actually, which is really a real relief. I'll tell you one song was hard to get going, Billy. Me and the Ristic tried to get Man Machine going after Jan Elt scored. That's not a football song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a bit of a, yeah, I think you have to get your synthesizers out for that one, I think. Like, you Drum know, Dutch, yeah, you're not allowed to, not allowed to bring them through the turnstiles, though, you know. But um, tell you something, though, because obviously, you know, this, we, we talk about this game. The one thing I'm going to say is that, you know, we, we've talked about this on the podcast as well, where we're allowed to celebrate, we're allowed to be happy, we're allowed to look at our team and say that we've done very well. You know, we've done that over the years in playoffs, you know, but we've never actually got the end result. So in a way, like I said to you, I'm sort of quite pleased that everyone's around Brentford have seemed to take on a really kind of uh, a slightly deadpan, a slightly like, let's enjoy the moment and then move on type attitude as opposed to last year or the last years where we, you know, with all the celebrations for the playoff finals would come, you know, weeks and months beforehand almost. But that seems to be knocked out, doesn't it, at the Allard? Yeah, I, I, I think it was a good thing that, you know, with a smaller crowd and, may, and maybe things have changed a bit, that we, you know, we weren't all on the pitch carrying the players <laughs> off shoulder high. 
which I think we've done before in a in, in a semi-final of a playoff, and, and I don't think it quite deserves that. Do you know what I mean? So I, I think we've approached it pretty well that way. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing is also, it's interesting because obviously we're, you know, we've been looking to get extra tickets for the match, which we've talked about in this podcast as well. We want to try and get, you know, 10,000 tickets each team as well. You know, there's been the announcement today where they said that's an extra 1,000 tickets which have gone on sale. I believe they've gone on sale on, a, on, on Wednesday night even, you know what I'm saying? So people up to 2,100 taps can get tickets as well. So we're getting more and more people through the turnstiles, which is better than at King of the Teeth. So it's good that all Bees fans, because all these people have taps, that means they've been to games which is all good there's, there's, I think there's a bit of a balance up and this is you know this is the superstitious side of me saying this as well normally when we get the games the bigger games obviously you get bigger crowds people start bringing friends friends maybe that have never been before that they don't understand the songs or they don't understand the routines but we've been actually very limited to basically just having bees fans at these games because those are the only people that can get tickets for them as well and of course of course we'd love to get more Bees fans in if you can do but that's what we've limited to and also with Wembley again it's limited to only Bees fans whereas normally Wembley you know you've got your wife your wife's friends sisters brothers kids everyone's coming down you've got big groups of 10s 20s 30s going to Wembley you know going down and going to Wembley and you know sometimes there's a little bit of a moaning saying well, the atmosphere isn't as good as it is because you can't quite get it going because the sort of the, the hardcore have been split up. So, do you think that maybe in a sort of strange kind of way, because we're trying different things each time, it might actually benefit us having a slightly smaller crowd in, but very vocal crowd in for the games? It will. Yeah, I, I I think it will do, especially with the with the whole kind of you know inviting inviting everyone to the finals. My mum doesn't tend to go to much much men's football she's a massive Arsenal women fan but she, when, whenever she goes to a Brentford game it tends to be those kind of playoff finals or the uh, you know the Johnstone's paint trophy and all that you know that sort of stuff and she's always very surprised on the weekend when we say oh yeah B's won you know we're, we're doing really well at the moment you know when we went top of the league earlier on she was absolutely incredulous because every single Brentford game she's been to we've bloody lost <laughs> no I, I hear that confused I mean the Allards and the other thing is, of course, Bill, is that you, apparently you sleep through playoff finals, don't you? So um, and maybe that won't happen this time and you'll be there sort of... Yeah, the thing is, yeah, I've been to, what's it, seven or is it eight playoff finals? I've actually only probably seen three of them, actually. Uh, the other one, they, 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 they made sweet dreams. Lucky you. Know, lucky you. Yeah, lucky that's right. <laughs> the, the crew one is probably the most important one to sleep through because it was, we were absolutely horrendous in that game, actually, you know, which is all good. But, you know... Just, just coming back to this Bournemouth game, I'm just wondering, just, just give us, you know, your favourite moment, you know, during the day, you know, uh, Jimmy Mack. As, as I think, you know, repeat myself, there's loads of them. Uh, what keeps coming back to me is Thomas Frank's lap beforehand. I just, uh, <laughs> it just, it was just, was it was just funny, but it was, it was toned brilliantly. It was perfect. And he's just so lovingly weird. He's brilliant. <laughs> like, just crouch around, running, tapping, clapping, pointing, shushing. But the thing is, it, it worked. It worked, though, didn't it? I mean, everyone, everyone was going absolutely potty for it, weren't they? Yeah, it made people responded. People did respond, and that's what that's what I remember about it. I thought they they knew they the crowd were going to play a massive role. I think it was was it Gillum's idea to send to, to get everyone running around, and um, yeah, I think they 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 wanted to attack the game aggressively and getting the crowd on the side early, especially you know haven't got to go down that that helped much more. So that's probably the memory of, of him running around, and also at the end of the game. He was running around, clapping, and also then pulling himself in, going, no, one to go. as if, And that sort of kind of showed, like Matt said, previous years, we'd be on the pitch, we'd play on the shoulders, that's enough for us. 
but it does it does it doesn't look like maybe they've learned it from last year that we know that we know silly comments that we know no one's scared of anyone no one's going to be looking at who we're going to be buying in the summer it's going to be let's try and get a job done so i think from that point of view that's so uh, that's uh thomas frank's uh marathon attempt was my um my favorite uh, the dutchman yeah there's there's lots of bits really i think at the end when begovic went up for the corner and you're thinking Jeez, if he scores here, this is going to be one of the unhappiest moments of my football in life. And then he was offside. You know, the beauty of a goalie being offside <laughs> in the opposition penalty area when you're really worried about the score and seeing him trudge back. It was a real shame we couldn't lob him because we didn't want to get the ball out. But uh, I, I think that, I mean, I thought Begovic all through the game was entertaining. I, I thought, um, you know, he, he was playing the, the pantomime villain, but he, his negativity spread throughout their team. He did us a favour. He put them on the back foot. He showed no intent and they all copied him. Um, so that, that played out perfectly for him. Uh, I hope he enjoys his season next year in the Championship. Yeah. And the Allard? In a way, Dutch is just Nick what I was going to say because it was for me it was... The, the, turning, the turning point was somewhat when Begovic lost his head when, um, you know, when, when we scored the penalty and he was trying to grapple Tony to get the ball off him and um, and took a book in and and to be honest he, he probably should have been sent off because the time wasting was extraordinary and would have would ordinarily have got a yellow card wouldn't it you know but because he'd already been booked he didn't get a second yellow card for time wasting because of you I've, I've never seen anyone get sent off of a second yellow for time wasting but he, he, he deserved it and and you just knew their heads had gone from that moment and um, and there was only one team that, that, that should win the game we just had to make sure that we did it Alan do you, do you think that was a ploy that um, you know it must have been something in the dressing room if we need to get Tony sent off they must have thought he's a weakness because there's no other explanation for that weird behaviour there must have been wind him up react we need to get him out of the game yeah and, and, and possibly even wind him up getting booked and then he won't be able to put himself about as much because then he's walking a tightrope, isn't he? Because he is good for a yellow card in most games, yeah, if you think about it, really. So if you can get him booked early, then then you can take sort of you know you can take a bit out of him. So yeah, I, I, maybe not necessarily that exact moment, but I reckon yeah, I, I, I think it was a ploy, and I think all their ploys were relatively negative, to be honest. And I'm going to ask you just quickly, just one little just word here between it: J- Janot's goal or Force's goal, Dutchman. I still maintain that Jan Elt's goal, and I said this to Matt straight after the game before we'd seen it, was touched onto him by that defender. And I think there was an element of fortune around that fantastic strike. Um, but it was still a fantastic goal the way it curled in. But I think um, Force's goal was quality and there was no luck about that one. Jimmy? Uh, force. Force for me. It's just, I mean, it's just brilliant, mate. And it kind of came out of nowhere. I, don't, I wasn't quite expecting it when it did. I thought the goal was going to come maybe a bit later. But... Uh, yeah, that was that was a, a magic moment, and I'm with Dutch. I think Yanel got a little bit. Um, no, you, you earn your luck, but that was a little bit lucky. Vialard. What's weird about Yanel's goal is I was sort of directly in line behind him and to the far post, and um, I thought he'd missed, and then suddenly everyone started <laughs> cheering, um, which is, which is a bit weird, and that's what I remember about it is that it definitely started off not going in the right direction but somehow it ended up in the net I've looked at it loads of times and it didn't get a deflection he just managed to get his foot to the ball before the defender put his foot in I, I mean yeah, what I mean is it curved in 
Do you know what I mean? I don't. I don't think it was. As, yeah. I, I mean, it, it started off outside and then curved in, and and for that alone and how bizarre that goal was, I, I'm going to say that goal because I will never forget that goal ever. But anyway, listen, we got Will the spreadsheet winker here in the house who always gives us the information that we need, and we've got Swansea coming on Saturday. We uh, well Wembley, big mate playoffs playoffs and we need to know more information about Swansea we could talk about them as much as we want to but you've got the analytical the statistical information will go and tell us what's all about Swansea absolutely so in the last four games I want to concentrate on because they're probably the most kind of relevant ones to, to, to the next playoff tie obviously you've got the two playoff games against Swansea then they played Watford lost 2-0 to them and they beat Derby 2-1 in those four games they've only uh, managed above 0.6 xg once and that was against uh, Watford in that 2-0 loss so in the in the two games against Swansea they made 0.28 and 0.34 Barnsley actually beat them on xg both times but managed to lose the tie so this is a, a very kind of tricksy Swansea team to play against they tend to score a lot of worldies because they've got these excellent excellent strikers to be fair you know you've got you've got you've got low and you've got um you've got AU and you've got people like Grimes who can bang one in from 30 yards and stuff like that they, they, they tend to be quite sort of reliant on those sort of worldy goals but then again their defence is very very good as well you've got those two fullbacks you've got Cabango and uh, Guehi as well who are going to be very very interesting to, to kind of try and stop them from bombing down the wings and I think that the wing backs whoever they are might be in Burma and Canos might be Ruslev might be uh, Dalsgaard who knows um, they're going to have their work cut out against those two so that's going to be a key battle I think whether they can stop those two and can stop the kind of creation down the flanks so I mean Swansea listen we've had you know, a couple of games we haven't got you know we haven't got three points of them this week one game we battered them the other game we just come out of our sort of kind of slightly dodgy run at the beginning of the season and um, we know what they're like and they're probably the kind of team that I think at one stage we think actually we'd be quite happy playing them and other stages we think actually you know if they're going to be just <laughs> well like what they did to us they tried to just sit deep when we played them at their place sit deep and just soak it all up and then try and hit us with a free kick or hit us on the break which uh, could have gone actually horribly wrong for them but it didn't in the end because they got that equalising goal but the Allard I mean just listen to what Will said there I mean what are your thoughts on that game a L- little bit of caution do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think what Will sums it up is that is they're good for worldly goals. They've got Conor Hurahan as well, haven't they, who, um, who scores a few. And um, I think that's what you have to watch out for them. I, I, I think you've got to not give away free kicks in and around, obviously not in the penalty area. Um, around the penalty area, you've got to avoid lunging in in the penalty area because they like, you know, they, they like a dive. They'd probably be shouting at the... At the um, <laughs> they'd probably be shouting at at the podcast um, listening to that but but you, you know they get they, they get fortuitous penalties every now and then as well um, I, I think on our side um, because you know with Swansea being good on the break one thing we really need to sort out is defending our own corners <laughs> yeah. so defending the breaks when we have a corner and, 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 and funny enough I think there is a slight tactical thing there because I think normally it's Rico Henry who's last man back and then after that it's probably Fossu and and obviously neither of them started on Saturday, so then it then it tends to fall on Jensen, and I and at that point I start to lose a bit of faith in us, um, in in you know if we get hit on the break. So I think that's one thing we we really do need to look at because it. Do you know what? It, it was going to happen in the second half again until Pontus took a yellow card by stopping Begovic from from kicking the ball. They, they were on their way yeah. again. Yeah, I mean Jimmy, 
Swansea, I mean, listen, last year, you know, like I say, sitting in the globe and, uh, you know, first game, we lost the first game. The red card was rescinded. The second game, we came at them, you know, full pelt and we turned that game around. I mean, looking at that, looking at them this season and listen to what Will said there, you've got a little bit of trepidation. I mean, we could be playing anyone this game and I've trepidation. It's going to be a nervy affair. It's going to be tense and right to the final moment no one's going to be relaxed and what I remember about Swansea more so this year is the two games we played to I think Swansea are actually the only team where we've actually got something in a game where maybe we didn't deserve it because I think when they came to our place early on they I mean, will might correct me here with the stats but I seem to remember thinking they, they kind of outplayed us a bit and were a bit unlucky not to beat us and then the other and then the other game it kind of reversed itself didn't it we outplayed them at their place and they they kind of got a bit lucky to, to, to draw. So so I think they'll be playing all, all the tricks they can. Um, I think they'll slow it down and make it ugly. They'll annoy us. They'll go for set pieces. And, and listen, with Andre Ayew in the team, he can produce a bit of magic at any point. I mean, if he wasn't playing, I would, I'd be so confident about this, but he's a real wild card. So um, I think it'll be a yeah, really, real tense affair. Um, I mean, I think if both teams play to their strength, I think, you know, both teams play 100% then we, we should be in a good position. But... I think it's going to be a tight one. It might be a single goal that decides it. Dutchman, I mean, are you? Is he, I mean, keep saying this. Is he going to stay on his feet? If he stays on his feet, obviously, it could be a little bit of a pickle. But have you seen enough there? Obviously, our last few games of the season, we've been looking, you know, fairly solid and we look like we've learned a few lessons. And, you know, we've seen what Swansea are about. Are you Are you a bit nervous? As Jimmy says, you'd be nervous if you were playing a you know a local park team, wouldn't you? I don't think we're going to get away from that. <laughs> um, but even through our sort of run of draws that probably cost us the auto, you know, I kept saying all the way through it, we, we're not losing games. We're, we're looking reasonably solid. We're not losing. And I think that that carries us in, in good stead. I agree with all the things about Swansea and the way they play. I think, I think their sort of cheating bit actually has gone against them. I think that didn't do them any favours, you know, the, the publicity around that. They don't seem to have been spared. The they, they stopped getting decisions, I think, after a while. Um, so they fall into that trap. But they've got some quality players, haven't they? I mean, they've got some players who can turn it around. But the games, you know, we've watched a few together, haven't we, online and um, the ones we've seen on TV. And they don't always look like scoring. You know, they, they really don't. But they keep grinding out results and, and getting goals, as you say, wonder goals worldies from somewhere or fortunate goals or, or penalties so absolutely they're, they're a massive danger and we're all going into it with trepidation but we're all going into it thinking you know we, we can not we will win we're thinking that we can win um, and that's I think that's symbolic of our fairly um, calm demeanour building up to this one which uh, seems to be the case emanating from the club as well you know I'm not expecting any statements or or you know, gung-ho messages from Thomas or the team it's all going to be fairly softly softly now isn't it I think positive vibes only that's right that's right and just Will I mean you talked to us about the stats there but just give us a little summary of your thoughts going into this game yeah I think I think I think the Dutchman's right I think it's quietly confident is the way that I, I, I would I would put it for, for Bees and, and you know comparing it to last year when we were obviously in a very similar position I think the run-ins the, the, the way that the run-ins kind of unfolded uh, uh, being very very different you know we knew this year that we'd blown automatic a few weeks before our final game whereas obviously we were still fighting it when we were playing Barnsley at Griffin Park and I think that that has gone you know a long way towards kind of the players and 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 the, and the, and the backroom staff have been able to mentally prepare themselves to playoffs a lot better um, and I think that 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 will kind of that will be really a really positive thing I also think that not having 
uh, kind of Hollywood players like Ben Rama and Watkins who are getting Guardian articles written about them every week and features on Sky Sports News about the BMW and stuff like that. I think that helps because I think it's less distracting for the players, you know, that they're not, they're not, you know, you, you, if, if you've got kind of uh, Fosu and Jensen in there, they're not thinking about, you know, or, you know, am I going to be interviewed by, by BBC News if we go up? Uh, or am I, am, am I going to be looking at a, a big money transfer to a Premier League team or an abroad team? You know that they're not that doesn't necessarily enter their minds quite as much because they're not as high profile and they're not as as as, as kind of lauded as, as as Watkins and Ben Rama were last year. So I think that works in our favour as well. Less hype is probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm hearing that. So listen, guys, let's go around the table and let's get a little score prediction from you. Starting with the Allard. Two one Bs. Jimmy Mack. Yeah, single goals in it. I think it could be 1-0. 1-0 bees. The Dutchman. Got it spot on on Saturday, Billy, with 3-1. I'm going to go 3-1 again. That's some of that. Well, there you go. The, the Will the Winker. Oh, I'm going to go 1-0. 1-0 bees. Scrappy goal. That's right. We've got it all around. So listen, guys, I'm going to leave you. I know that you want to sort of finish off your partying, OK? But I'm telling you to not stay up too late because you need to get some sleep and get down to Wembley for a big party there on Saturday. Fingers crossed, as they say. So I'll catch up with you later, OK? Cheers, Billy. Happy birthday. Cheers, Bill. Cheers, Bill. Bill Wembley. So there you have it. Listen, that was a... I tell you something, I really enjoyed that, you know. Again, you get it all off your chest, talking to all sorts of characters, lots of information in there, which we need to digest. But at the end of the day, that information means nothing because we just now need to put the ball in the back of the net and win on Saturday. How are you feeling, Laney? I'm feeling all right, actually, Bill. I'm I'm feeling quietly confident, you know. As I I have said before, I've, I've tried to approach these games feeling all kinds of feelings and sometimes, you know, just kind of just being resigned to failure, sometimes being supremely confident and sometimes just ignoring the game is existing until the day itself and just going along and see what happens. But I think, you know, um, just seeing how we played last weekend and how we've approached the the end of the season and, and the playoff home and, home and away game with Bournemouth, I think there's, there's every, every reason to think Brentford are, you know, at... at at or near their their best and if their best on the day is good enough then we should get what we hopefully deserve I'm feeling alright as well I'm a lot less nervous than I've been with the the previous ones but like I said to you I've been anaesthetised I think to, to playoffs now and I'm kind of I'm used to it you know, for me, if we obviously, I really want us to win. But you know, to be being in that stadium and just seeing the games and just winning a match and just making lots of noise to me, that's really the key thing. And you know, if we go there in the in the Premier League next season, that's great. If we go back there in the Championship with all the characters that we know, I mean, we're going to have some right good days because everyone's want to want to come down to Brentford next season and have a drink with us from oh, I was about to say Sheffield Wednesday, but they've gone like you know what I'm saying. But from whole city, you know, through to Lincoln, through to Derby County, all these lot they'll be coming down. We'll have a laugh anyway. So for me. I'm actually really excited that football's back, but I'm really hoping that we can go into Wembley, get a few more thousand tickets, make a load of noise, have a great day, and I'm feeling really, really great. And what's the one thing that you've you've taken out of this chat today, Laney, sort of kind of, you know, into the game on Saturday? Just the fact that a lot of people whose opinions I, I know and trust feel that Brentford are back. You know, we had we did we've had a couple of wobbles during the season, but the the players seem to be showing belief. The players seem seem to be uh, very used to the the system, the, the, um, and there's the impact players, the big players seem to be on their game. So you know, there's a couple of selection problems. Does does Norgard start? Is he fit? 
Um, you know, it's, be, it's going to be interesting to see how the, the, the starting eleven uh, lines up. But we know the system. Um, we know a lot about Swansea, and we just need to just concentrate on doing at the things that we do best and concentrate on our own game and not making mistakes. That's that's the thing. We if we avoid making silly mistakes, we stand a very, very good chance. Make loads of mistakes and don't play well, then again we'll get what we deserve that way too. So yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's in destiny seems to be in our hands. As a fan base we've we've matured. You know, we really have matured, you know, like I said to you, you know, you, you look back to, you know, when we did that Tranmere trip in 1991, was it, you know, in the minibus, we're going up to, to Tranmere on the night and, you know, going up to Huddersfield, you know, going to the Slover's Arms, playing the piano. It's all a big hoo-ha, you know, when we played against Yeovil, we were all dressed up in the ponchos and fancy dress and hide at a pub beforehand and we had 300 of us in the pub beforehand and we had all sorts of characters just kind of just like piling in that never go to Brentford games the double decker bus that we did the barge down the down canal from Wentford you know from Uxbridge down to Wembley which took about five hours you know all these things that we've done with the big hullabaloo beforehand you know and then we end up not getting the result and we're all so happy to be there and this year I've noticed that everyone is just much more practical they're just chill they just understand they've been there before and they just want to see the job done so listen I've enjoyed it all but like I said to you you know you haven't got a hundred people coming with you to the game you've just got your mates who go to the game week in and week out so for us it's like you can see we're going there to do a job and I feel that's the same with the team as well even last season they they went to Wembley and they weren't quite at the races but I just have a feeling that that year and that experience will have got them to go tell you something here we go again we're in Wembley this is the changing room we're not in awe oh we've got some fans behind us we'll just go out and do the job so I'm really hoping that what's translated to the fans also translate to the players I'm going to ask you a question though Laney what do we do need to do to win we have to as I said not make mistakes um, we if we play even half as good as we did against Bournemouth uh, then we are going to create two or three very, very good chances. Uh, we take them as well. Um, we score two goals, they're going to have to score three. It's, it's, it's unlikely that you know, it's going to be that open a match. So um, I just, uh, yeah, as I said, walk tight at the back, clear club up front, stick to our game plan, attack, attack, attack. Uh, that's, that's all we need to do. And, and that sounds like all we need to do, but it's, it's almost... That's what we do more fluently. We, we, we are a team that loves to play well and we have to do one more big performance, top, top performance, and we're there. And you know, as you said, as you rightly said, the pain of last year, the players felt that more or as much as anyone else. They were the ones that were there. They'll be hurting, they'll want to put this right. And for me, it's zero fear. We saw the zero fear thing. When we play with no fear, honestly, no one, I don't think anyone can touch us. You know, even Watford and Norwich, they couldn't touch us. And I think, you know, I think we've been through the fear thing. We've been through the fluffy thing. We've been through all of that nonsense. We just need to go out there and play with no fear and just do what we do as Brentford. And if we do that, then we will win that match. But if we have a bit of fear and if we have a bit of bad luck as well, and also if, if Swansea really do up their game, then it could be really different. So, Laney, last thing I'm going to ask you, give us a score prediction I'm not going to faff around with this I'm not going to play it safe I'm just going to say Brentford 3 Swansea 1 whoa Laney's gone right in there as well and I'm going to go actually Brentford 1 
Swansea nil. So it's keeping it tight, but also we'll be sort of kind of biting our nails to the very end. So, but anyway, listen, this has been the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. It's been a great season so far. Win or lose, we've been on the booze. Doesn't matter. Final game at Wembley on Saturday. Check it out. It's at uh, well, three o'clock kickoff. It's on Sky on the television. If you're going to be down there, we'll see you around Wembley. We've got a pub all lined up, so we'll be in the pub beforehand. You know, very very early. Hopefully, we'll be in the pub very very late after the game as well, doing our thing with our crew. Everybody, go out there. Have a really really great day on Saturday. Thanks very much again for your support. Besotted.com forward slash beer. If you want to support us as well, that'd be fantastic. But like I said to you. I'm Billy Grant. I've enjoyed my day in the virtual lounge and going to the cheese lounge and the chomp lounge and chatting to all sorts of characters as well. And you, lady, too? Yeah, as I said, you know, I echo that. Enjoy it wherever, wherever you're watching it. It's a shame that you know we, won't, we can't all be together, as in like the royal, all of us. Um, but yeah, wherever you're watching it, with your friends, your family, whether you're watching it solo, whether you're watching it in the pub, whether you're watching it in a pub near Wembley, whether you're actually in the game, Sing your hearts out for the lads. Be positive. Believe in this team. Let's do this. Let's definitely do this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to get everyone out. We're going to get the crew out from the cheese room. We're going to get out from the chomp room. We're going to say our usual end of besotted podcast scene where we give the cheers. Cheers. Come on, you sweet little cheeseheads. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans